Welcome to another episode of Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon, and skeptic. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group is about networking and doing deals. This isn't your grandma's RIA. No sales from the front ever, and no smell of stale coffee, Ben Gay, and disappointment. You know what I'm talking about. RDI is also this podcast where once a week, I sit down with interesting and successful business people getting shit done. I pick their brain for your amusement and hopefully education. And if you enjoy this podcast, this is a free podcast, please give it a like and share it across the internet, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you hang out. Where are you kids at now? Snapchat. Can you post a link to Snapchat? I don't know. Do something. If you have any questions or suggestions, send me a message or leave a comment. Go to renegadedetroit.com renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegade Detroit investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit investment club. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess. And if you prefer hello, YouTube, you can also watch this on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit wholesalers legal disclaimer time. It's the world we live in folks in no way, shape or form should anything that I or my guest or guests say, be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment decision, you contact an attorney and or other licensed professionals. Be a fucking adult. Don't sue me. Show quote. Show quote of the week. Time for the Renegade Detroit Investor show quote of the week. I try and pick a quote that sets the tone for the podcast and hopefully for your week. And I wonder if Tom can guess what it might be. Ah, is this my favorite quote? It is. To get one great idea, you need a hundred ideas and a system to determine which one is the best. That's right. By whoever Germander Germander Betty. Germander Betty. He used to be my boss at Ford Motor Company long ago, and now he is the president of CompuWare. Wow. So damn he's no no dummy, that guy. Smart guy. No, smart guy. To get one great idea, you need a hundred ideas and a system to determine which one is the best. Thank you, Mr. Betty. And without further ado, my guest introduction, let me introduce you to Tom Nardone. It's going to take a while, folks, and I still cut out like a third of his life. Tom attended Boston University and graduated as a mechanical engineer. Before starting his own business, Tom worked as a business plan writer and analyst sorry, at Ford Motor Company and for Sikorsky Aircraft as a helicopter test engineer. Yeah. So basically, he's like a big nerd, all right, but a really cool one. Somewhere along the line, though, he became an author writing at least two books, maybe three. Three, yeah. Three. Extreme Pumpkins 1 and 2. What was the third one? Extreme Halloween. Extreme Halloween. Selling over a half million copies, which is crazy. It's a lot of books. It is a lot of books. Tom also holds four Guinness Book of World Records, the fastest pumpkin ever carved, 11 and a quarter seconds. Let's see, the most pumpkins carved in an hour, 109. The fastest time to carve a metric ton of pumpkins, good Lord, 42 minutes, 51.51 seconds. He's a maniac. And the most pumpkins smashed in a minute, 23. In 1998, he and his wife started Priveco, the world's most private company, where you sell products that most people would be embarrassed to buy at a local store or receive an email, or get a catalog about, right? They basically just want to buy this stuff and never look back at it. They started with 50 items, and today have over 1,500. And they've also ballooned out to multiple 
sites and just a few. You should go to priveco.com, but just a few include bachelorette.com, vibrators.com, Labita. Did I say that right? Labita, yeah. Labita.com. And there's at least a dozen more sure. on there if you go look. And one of those companies is bulletsafe.com with a bulletproof vest and a new bulletproof hat. One that you actually crowdfunded using Kickstarter, which is pretty cool. That's right. The vests are for sale now, and the hats are hitting the market very soon. I saw you just ship. Just shipped the first 20. The first 20, all right. So Tom also founded the Detroit Mower Gang, which is how I met him. It's a group of volunteers who like to have fun, ride lawnmowers, pick up garbage, and drink beer while mowing the prairie-like grass in some of Detroit's parks, you know? This is how I met Tom. He is also a mad scientist engineer inventing all sorts of things, LED-enhanced clothing, I think, (laughs) Was your like LED leisure suit you're wearing on? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Um, along with sex toys, yeah. I'll actually talk about that. A flame throwing device, uh-huh. and I think my favorite was the pumpkin thumper. Oh yeah, that was a good one. I, I have actually I not have a one, bad idea. Yeah, I have one coming up uh, that I that I made a long time ago, and every every few years I break it out. I should bring it out every year, but I made an extreme menorah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a Jewish man, but my friend, I have a lot of friends that are Jewish. And it always seems like everybody's like cranking up how cool the Christmas lights are, but the Jewish kids don't have anything. So I have they get a, no love. Yeah. So I have like a flame spitting menorah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> He's been on just about every talk show you can think of, just to name a few, because we do want to get into the actual uh, interview and conversation. Regis yeah, this is and awkward Kelly. to sit here and have this Long going. Time, yeah. yeah. This is your life. Conan. Good Morning America, MTV The Real Life, and actually I was with you on Andrew Zimmern with Bizarre Foods. That's right. And there's at least a dozen more, and he is married to Lisa and has three children. That's right. Go to Priveco, yep. Priveco, dot com, shopandprivate.com, bulletsafe.com, extremepumpkins.com, facebook.com forward slash mowergang. Twitter.com forward slash Priveco. <laughs> and you should really just go to Priveco.com and you can you can navigate everywhere from there because I could literally probably put another dozen yeah, URLs. Yeah. Yeah. To say you're a prolific uh, entrepreneur would be an understatement. So the beginning. All right. Boston University. Did you know you were a maniac mechanical engineer before you attended or did you discover this while becoming an engineer? Oh, um. I liked mechanical stuff. I'm a car nut. I always like cars and motorcycles and all of that sort of stuff. So I did enjoy that. Um, when I was in high school, I never got to take any of the like shop classes or mechanical classes because I was in like the advanced science and math. So I never got to do anything cool. Like I never got to take art classes after I got into high school. But uh, the one thing I did get to do was I was in the Latin club. That's some nerdy stuff right that, there. That's about as nerdy as it gets. In fact, I, I was the state president of the Latin club. There's a president? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's actually called the Junior Classical League. But anyway, the Latin club had a catapult contest where you would build catapults, and they would bring them out to this one um, high school, and which had the biggest field. They had like a 400-yard-long field, and they would bring these catapults out there. and you would 400 yards. Man. That's a, it's a big place, yeah. Wilbraham, Massachusetts. And um, so when I was a senior, yeah, senior in high school, my friend Steve Price and I got to build a catapult because our catapult was not performing well 
from our high school. So we built a catapult. So that was pretty cool. That was probably the first time I built really anything all on my own. Did you use it to destroy your enemies? Yeah, well, now we finished like third place or something. Third place, that's not bad. Yeah. How far did you fling? I mean, it was a ballista, which is um, shoots arrows. like oh, gi- man. So it's like a giant crossbow. Is it, wow. Is that how it worked? And you couldn't use anything modern. Like you couldn't have fiberglass arms or anything. So it used like rope and uh, like pivoting arms. And we, I think we threw, shot an arrow like 130 yards. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's a pretty heavy arrow too, like a two pounder. Oh yeah, no, that, yeah, that that'd be a life ender right there. Yeah, oh yeah, if you got hit with this thing, yeah, all the teachers were super nervous about these. Yeah, things. they're just gonna leave you wherever it sticks you because you yeah. have to pull it out. The actual the sh- the catapults themselves would throw a shot put, and there was the one team that was located at the field, the Wilbraham team. They could shoot a shot put like three hundred and fifty yards. Man. And you'd have to go out there and dig it out with a shovel. It was pretty cool. They probably throw you in jail now for some terrorist oh, shit yeah. you tried to build this. Yeah, right? there's no doubt about it. Because that's that's really a weapon. Both of these were weapons. And everybody was just standing around knowing that something was gonna go wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you got a Video bunch of cameras. high school kids making giant catapults. What yeah, could go like, wrong? Everybody stand behind the row of cars. Like that's really gonna help. <laughs> Not your two-pound arrow. Was it metal or wood? The arrow was wood, yeah, but the shot puts were were iron, you know. Still two pounds of anything at, I don't know how many feet per second. Yeah. Put a big hole in you. Yeah. Then I went off to college, and there was a big freshman engineering contest, like uh, across the whole universe. All the engineering students competed in this one design contest, and I won it for my entire class, like 3,000 people. What did you design? Uh, was uh, The contest was you had to play tug-of-war in a sandbox. You had to make a little machine that played tug-of-war in a sandbox. And they had contests like I was a giant tournament one day. And I won the whole thing. And so my whole college career, everybody, I'd walk down the halls and be like, there's that guy that won the contest. <laughs> Was there a shirt? Did you get in a trophy? No, I didn't get anything. The champ is here. Nothing? I, I, no, I, well, I won. I was very girls? exciting. No, none of the girls. What? I don't know. If they were Ladies, girls. Where are your priorities? Yeah. yeah. We got I was, the winner. I was completely undateable at the time anyway. <laughs> I mean, could have introduced me to every woman in the, on the planet, and I don't think I would have got a date out of it. I don't know. I don't know if I believe you. You're pretty charismatic mm. and uh, easy to like. So we, you're in college. Learn and become. You obviously have all the engineering skills, smart enough. You want to do it. You want to build shit, right? Yeah, I like stuff. Yeah, yeah, I like stuff. And that's part of. I think that's part of being successful at anything is you. You have to like it, right? So, and and different people are wired differently. I was wired to like, you know, machines and and that sort of stuff. So that was good. When you were going to college, did you know you were going to be an entrepreneur? Or my parents were. They say. Um, Apparently, I didn't. I don't remember this. I actually wanted to be an automotive engineer, but I remember um, I had my high school reunion, and one of my friends was like, "This month been my twentieth high school reunion, twentieth, twenty fifth, twenty fifth." And this guy comes up to me, Andrew, and he comes up and he goes, "Dude, you totally did it!" And I was like, "What?" And he's like, "I remember in high school you used to talk about how someday you're going to have a company and you're going to invent products and you're going to sell all this stuff." And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you totally said that. And, and, and you, you did. did it. And I was like, oh, I don't even remember saying that. Like, I just wanted to work on cars. But my parents were entrepreneurs. My dad owned a liquor store, and my mom owned an ice cream shop. Hmm. How'd they meet? Oh, they had met long ago. My mom didn't own the ice cream store until I was in high school. Okay. But my dad owned a, my dad had been like a union construction guy, and he had got a heart attack. And he, so he 
got disabled. Like he couldn't, he was a crane operator and he, one of those guys way at the top of the building on the girders, you know, yeah, no thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And once yeah. you have once you have a heart attack, you can't operate that anymore. I imagine that's a good rule. Yeah. I mean, I hate that somebody's career to be destroyed, but uh, yeah. So he got some kind of like buyout or something. I don't exactly understand. Like I think he they gave him his pension right then and there. Here's a bag so, of money. Go home. Yeah. Well, it's like here's a monthly check, a very small monthly check. Go home. And then he so he so he bought a liquor store and he did that. So he's like, so, so you to, were going to be an entrepreneur. You were telling everybody you were going to make shit. I don't it. remember that part of it, but I guess it you does rub off at least on one you. person, right? Yeah, yeah. Andrew Lupian knew. Yeah, he knew. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Yeah. So you get out of college. Did you go to work for the Ford Motor Company? No, Sikorsky Aircraft. I got. I wanted to work for Ford right away, or any of the big three, but they weren't hiring. So I went to work for Sikorsky Aircraft, a helicopter company in Connecticut, and I uh, worked on my master's degree at night. So, and then uh, when I got real close to my master's degree, uh, I um, I finally like I would send a resume into Ford pretty much about once a year to to the big three, and I finally me. got the call. Yeah, finally got the call. They needed someone that knew what I knew at that point. So, what was that? Uh, structures engineering. Like okay. I was, I knew about structures and testing. What were you doing for the helicopter company? T- testing. I tested stuff. I didn't like fly helicopters around. My job was to blow it up. Or? I was a mechanical test engineer, which sounds like I get to fly helicopters, but in reality, no, you don't. I get to like, you know, put things on a test rig and shake them and stuff like that. Bend them thirty thousand yeah, times. Yeah, so did get break. to. I did go, get to shoot stuff at other stuff. So that was kind of cool. That was the beginning. Then. That was the beginning of the bulletproof vest. Company. I was going to say it was right, right there. Mm-hmm. Something like that was happening. Yeah. So you got hired for Ford. How long did you spend at Ford? And um, I, uh, I really liked Ford Motor Company, and I, I worked day and night there. I loved it. I, you had to kick me out of that place at night, and um, I got this great job writing business plans. I worked under that guy Germander Betty with the great, right. great quote. And uh, although he, there's no way he rem- remembers me, he probably had 50 people working for him, of which one was me. But uh, and um, when I was working there, I can't, the internet was new, and being a nerd, I was online early. And I had this idea that people were doing things online that they wouldn't do in public, so maybe they'd want to buy things they wouldn't want to buy in public over the internet. So I told my friends in the business planning department like about this idea, and they're like, "That's a great idea. You should start that business." You know. So I did in my spare time, and then it very quickly, like we got written, that was shopinprivate.com, yeah. the world's most private store where you can shop in private for embarrassing stuff, like hemorrhoid creams and Depends undergarments and that type of stuff is how it started. I saw some good ones, yeah. some small penis condoms. Yep, yeah. I do not see anybody walking in the liquor no, store. No. no, I need the small ones. If you need the Magnums, you would tell everybody in the store, yeah. I need a Magnum condoms. But if you need a small one, you're like, shit. Yeah, yeah. you buy those online. And it comes in a brown box of penis extenders. Yeah, all yeah. that stuff. And all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah. I mean, stuff you wouldn't normally. Yeah, and then and then uh, there's a lot of products out there that are, you know, from small companies, and they serve, like, really niche problems, and you wouldn't even know they exist. So if you go online and you find out they exist, you're like, hey, I could cure my toe fungus, or I can, you know, I have diabetes and erectile dysfunction, so I can't take Viagra. What do I do? That type of stuff. So, um, so, so I started that business, and it got written up in the Wall Street Journal, and then it got written up in Success, not, um, not uh, In Style Magazine for Valentine's Day, and I basically was so busy doing this like work from home idea that I had to sort of 
uh, leave Ford Motor Company. So I left. I worked there for a little over, I think I worked there for three and a half years. Well, you're doing four and a half years. So the whole time you were there, how long no, were you working there and working on the business only, at the same time? I only worked on the two businesses for five months. Five months. Okay. Like I, yeah, I launched the business. So it did go. It picked up real quick. Real then. fast. The, the internet was brand new. So I, I guess, yeah. At the time I launched shoppingprivate.com, Amazon.com didn't have, only sold books and it didn't have photographs of the book. There's no picture. That was of the a long cover. time ago. Yeah. It was just a word description of what the book was. Was that still in the squirrel modems? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. 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 That's why there was no sure. picture. Yeah. I had to get two phone lines. 56.6. Yeah. Yeah. I had to get two phone lines for my house. One so I could run the modem and one so I could answer phone calls. And then, oh, here's one for you. Um, they used to call them fax modems. You know that? So this is how I launched the business. At the time, I bought a mailing a mailing list of every college newspaper in the country, and then I turned it into a spreadsheet, and I um, <clears throat> I uploaded that file into my Max fax portion of the fax modem software, and I wrote a press release. Man, in Word, you know, and I saved it as whatever file, text file or PDF probably. I think they had those back then. And I faxed that PDF to like 1,100 college newspapers around the country. So that was, I, I built the website over two months from like August till and through September. And then October 1st, I took a week off of work. And I remember sending, you know, like August, I mean, October 1st, October 1st, I remember hitting like send to, and that, computer i couldn't use the internet that day because it was using the fax modem all day all day and night to make a thousand phone calls and fax this one page press release and then i had the other phone line which was the telephone and i just hoped and prayed that someone would call and that was my whole business launch was me in the back bedroom of my house hitting send (laughs) and sitting by the phone eating a sandwich you know i couldn't really work on anything because i couldn't use the internet and uh, sure enough, it took like till two in the afternoon and someone called the Penn State newspaper from Penn State. And uh, I was extremely excited. Were they looking for the small penis uh, they, condoms? Or yeah, I think at the time the website was just like, it was really more, it had condoms, but only a few. It only had 50 items, 49. And uh, they were all drugstore items. So they were like cold sore cream. And the first thing anyone ever ordered was a friend of mine ordered some breath breath away breath mints or something but the first thing any legitimate customer ever ordered was a 12 pack of condoms so <laughs> sex sells baby it does it's reliable i love being human yeah and you then get me to do something that's the way to do it yeah and then there was a search box the whole the whole business would have not gone anywhere if it wasn't for the search box you know the search box on the yeah web. absolutely well you take that data for what people are searching for and you oh, parse that yeah. out real fast and the number one search from the jump was the word vibrator. So that's when we knew like we had to sell uh, sort of adult things to because that's what people want to shop in private for. Well, I'm sure people want to shop in private for a lot of stuff, but at least in America, the sex stuff, although it's changing a little bit, is certainly something people keep behind the curtain or they don't oh, talk yeah. about it. Yeah, like, if you have a choice, you're going to buy it somewhere, you know, it's going to be the same price. for. We all have the same cost basis. It's going to be cheaper online than it is in a CVS or a, especially an adult boutique. So it's going to be less online. And then if you have the option of it being more private, I mean, those things collide into a, it's a no brainer when you really get to it. Well, yeah, you don't want to order, I guess for a lot of people, it'd be a nightmare to 
order something like this from Amazon, like let's say you want the big black yeah, they, dildo, right? Amazon supposedly is the number one seller of sex toys in the country. But it does end up on your order history. Yes. So that's a problem. Or your kids could open the box or or something. Neighbor, like, oh, why is the box eight foot long? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When it comes from Priveco, it's a little more private. And it's interesting because you guys, no subscriber lists, no emails, no flyers, no no catalogs. No, there's no, uh, you know, a lot of websites, it's like, uncheck this box if you don't want to hear from us. For us, there's no box, there's no check, there's no uncheck, there's no email. We've never, in the history of the company, 17 years, emailed customers. Well, this would fly in the face of a lot of conventional. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, you want to get an email list? I was going to blast it. They wrote me up in Money Magazine in 1999, and they predicted my company's failure. (laughs) Money Magazine. Well, that's okay. Money Magazine. I don't know if you know this, but Money Magazine went bankrupt before I did. Yeah, and I I quit reading them because of the shitty articles they wrote. Yeah. So, well, thanks for being on my side, but you don't have to be angry at them anymore. I don't think they exist anymore. No, no, they don't. I think they were bought out, though. Yeah. They, they did go bankrupt at one point, Yeah, which I wondered who I should tell. So how did you grow your business? Because you couldn't do any normal, um, do you do, I don't know, do you do affiliate stuff? Yeah, or? we do affiliate. Affiliates are, make, make sense for us because, um, because people out there have websites about stuff, you know, small, 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 small guys like me and like you have websites about topics that we talk about. They could be about foot fungus or they could be about living with a small penis and, and uh, large advertisers aren't really interested in working with those guys. But if the website is targeted to what we do, then they make a great fit. So, yeah, so we have a strong affiliate program for almost every business we run from shop and private to vibrators to bachelorette.com to bullet safe. So, and you know, obviously the one, the, Certain websites work for certain affiliates, Absolutely, not one yeah. for everything. Yeah. yeah. So for those people listening and don't know what an affiliate is, it's if you have a website um, and you put a link to a retailer like ours, we pay a commission when, when someone buys. It tracks the person through. It doesn't know their, any of the details about them, but it knows that like I, we sent 100 clicks over to shoppingprivate.com. Four people bought things. Um, they A total of, you know... $612 was spent and you get 13% of the 612 so that person gets, you know, 75 bucks or something like that. Okay, so that, that was sense? one way you you grew it was through, yeah, affiliates, through affiliates, right? Public relations has always been real strong for us because the websites are fun or funny. Like we can announce a new product. Yeah, we They're can hilarious. announce a new product before other people do. We also tell the truth, which is really rare. So we'll tell you if a product stinks or if it's great or if it's, you know, usually we get publicity for saying that a product is no good if it isn't, you know, so we'll review the thing and like, it may solve a problem. You know, it may be great. Like for a long time, our top YouTube video is how to remove your own back hair. Like we t- I tried with these. <laughs> I three remember methods. watching the video, a couple of videos. You did yeah. On that. So uh, people want to know, how do you remove your own back hair? There's a million ways to remove your back hair, but to do it by yourself could be tricky. To do it by, you and I are married, right? So to remove my back hair, I asked my wife, honey. Yeah. Which is really like, I know 
that she like did not sign up groom for this. her back of her knee hair yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Exactly. It's terrible. Sorry, but, babe. <laughs> so if you're a single man and you got a beach vacation coming up, you got to get the hair off your back. So you can go to a salon and pay someone. That's ridiculous. You know, first of all, it's expensive. And second of all, now you got to go someplace where pretty girls work and ask them to remove your back hair, which is even Could worse. Could you help me with my pelt? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You could sell that for, yeah. you know. <laughs> So we reviewed all these different methods. So people have invented different methods to remove your bone back hair. There's something called the Razorba. It's like a stick that holds your razor for you. Yeah, like, your company is so fun. Yeah, it's like a combination of a back scratcher and a razor holder. Seriously, you could make one of these out of like a stick and some duct tape, but it's twenty nine ninety five. So we reviewed that. And then we tried like Nair with a long-handled sponge. <laughs> and then uh, then there's this product that was called Brazilian Back, and it was like, to describe it was a tube of Nair and then like a plastic garbage bag. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to spread the Nair all over the garbage bag, right? And then lay you lay it. down on the garbage bag and then wiggle around so it spreads it all throughout your back. I can see that being problematic. Totally. Yeah, like, that didn't yeah, work so at all. Yeah, it didn't work. No, it, 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 and that was made the worst, patchiest Back removal, like you couldn't spread it evenly on the garbage bag. It's amazing how bad somebody's idea can yeah. be. Yeah, it seemed like that one them. seemed like a good idea, you know. And so there's all these different ways. And then uh, Remington makes this thing called a back and body groomer. So it's kind of like a beard trimmer, but uh, but it extends, it gets longer, so you can kind of trim. You can trim your back with it, like a selfie stick with a yeah, kind of like a, yeah. Thing. That's what the Razorba is like—a selfie stick for your razor. Yeah. And the yeah. um, back and body groomer is more like um, I don't know, like a hedge trimmer on a pole, like a pole <laughs> trimmer for your trees. And so you use that. Is it gas operated? And, no, no, it's rechargeable. <laughs> but I have to tell you that I'm a pretty flexible guy. Like I'm a slender guy. Yeah, you're people. fit. Yeah, so I stay fit and flexible. I do yoga, and even I have trouble reaching like all the spots with this thing. Yeah. So I mean, if you're a bigger guy, you're in trouble. You're so, big trouble. Yeah. So here's how to remove the back from your hair from your back. Get married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or go to a salon and be embarrassed. Salon, yeah. It'll be fine. So when you when you started your business, how long before you had to hire your first employee? Oh yeah, um, so I started October first, and then we got written up in the magazines, and that in style magazine piece was really powerful for us. It came out for Valentine's Day, so we had a really strong Valentine's Day, and then I had been I was interviewed by Success Magazine, and they were doing like a bigger piece on us like in style we were just a little blurb but the success thing was like an article and uh, we knew it was going to hit the newsstands like march 15th we me i knew because it yeah. was just me. and lisa right so the, yeah and yeah she was my girlfriend at the Our time, girlfriend at yep. the time. and uh, she's now my wife and um so i hired someone right before that came out like march 1st or something like that no i left i started working for myself march 1st i hired someone april 1st i got one month where I got to work in my own house. I operated out of my spare bedroom and I got to walk to my favorite restaurants every day for lunch. And it was the greatest month ever. And then you started making sales and had to hire people. And then, yeah, yeah, I was shipping maybe about like six or eight packages a day at that point. And then it got to the point where I had to hire someone to help. And then that required me to move out of my house because I didn't, didn't want to hire someone to have them in my house. 
And then, and then, so I had to move into like a warehouse space and hire somebody. Yeah, and that was the first like warehouse space that uh, you ended up leasing, leasing out or whatever, right? Where was that at? I uh, uh, rented the back. I don't know if you know this one. I ended up rented the back corner of an upholstery fabric warehouse in Livonia, Michigan. I did not know that. Yeah, so that's the first first. Yeah, they were shrinking. Their business was shrinking. I guess upholstery fabric wasn't a real strong. Nagahide wasn't a hot. Nagahide dot com. Yeah. And Larson Fabrics, they were really nice. And so they were shrinking, so they rented out the back corner to me. And um, my business was growing. We were there for like four or five years. And my business kept growing, and they kept, they liked the extra money every month. So they kept letting us expand, and they would just like move stuff. It was really nice. So we went there for like five years. Then my wife and I finally bought a building in okay. Hazel Park. So you're five there, five years in the back yeah, corner. So, yeah, I think it was close. It was maybe like three and a half. I, I think I exaggerated when I said five. I think it was three and a half years in the back corner of Larson Fabrics. Well, if you don't mind sharing, and obviously yeah. not say anything you don't want to share, share. I'll share anything. What were your first year gross sales? Mm. And then, mm-hmm. like, how did that go? Your first year, second year, or yeah. first year, fifth year? Sure. You're quite a lot far yeah. away now. You know? So um, in the first 12 months, so the big month I had that I um, that I decided to leave Ford, we did 15000 in the month of February. Holy shit. Yeah, so that was a big month. And that year, so that was, it, so the we launched October 1st. So like the first October, November, December, we did like $8,000 or 13,000, somewhere in there, like around $10,000 in those three months, like from zero to 10,000. I thought that was pretty good. good. And then the next year we did 280,000. Damn. And then we went up to like 600,000, 800 and something thousand. And then we crossed the, we crossed the million mark in like year three and a half. That was a, that was an exciting moment because I had met some people in a club, and you had to join this. In order to join the group, you had to do a million a year in sales. So I wanted to join. That was one a goal I set for myself. I want to join that club. What club is that? That was called YEO at the time, Young Why? Entrepreneurs Organization. Okay. Now it's called EO because all the people aren't young anymore. Yeah. No. <laughs> so now it's EO. Time. Time EO catches Network. everybody eventually. Yeah. Right? So that was a good because um a lot of a lot of really smart people in there that helped me along helped me a lot. That's why I like I like groups. I like joining groups. I like yeah. I like going to things and and at least people who are open minded and don't mind sharing. So yeah, like your Renegade Detroit group. Yeah, that's that's why I like it. So you, that's pretty amazing. So you within five years you're doing over a million in gross sales mm-hmm. from the internet, and this is early. Yeah, still pretty. Too. Well, at this point, by the time we got to a million, drugstore.com had launched. And so that, that, they were a big, they were a big thorn in my side, to be honest with you. Okay. Like we were growing very quickly and we were getting all of the news about online drugstores was about us. And then drugstore.com launched and then we really struggled. Oh, man. Like, I mean, we were growing through the period, but it was, it was, tough because they lost money on every sale so they exerted a lot of downward price pressure on us oh they were trying to outspend uh, they were just for spending there. it was like suddenly free shipping was like this is during a crazy uh-huh, bubble yeah right bubble. yeah there was there were a lot of companies doing that mm-hmm. where they were trying to do the 
they were some sort of fuzzy math, kind of like with oh, the real estate thing. ridiculous. When they're trying to price out the cost of a customer and it how much to acquire, crazy. they were losing money hand over fist. It was crazy. And still selling so, out. So here's me, right? I'm just a regular guy, just like any of the listeners or yourself. And I start this business and I have to make money because I have bills to pay, right? I mean, I'm not a wealthy guy. I wasn't born with a silver spoon. And nobody wants to, nobody wanted to invest in my company either because I was selling vibrators. They just wanted to stay away. So I got to make it on my own, right? I have to make money every day or at least six days of the week, right? And then here comes drugstore.com and they they go public. First, they raise like $30 million, yeah. right, of investor money. Then they go public and they raise $270 million more. And they proceeded to lose that money on the market of selling drugs, dr- drugstore items online over the next five years. That's so amazing. How did they lose that money? By giving away shit that I couldn't give away. So that really, that made me angry. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, the deals were too good to be true because they were losing money at every turn. Another way they lost a lot of money, though, is they hired really expensive people to do a whole lot of nothing. You know, they wasted a lot of money just by having too many chiefs and not enough Indians. So I didn't mind that too much. And then about three years ago, uh, they got bought out by Walgreens. And now you don't even hear the name anymore. I, like I said, drugstore.com to you. And you were like, oh, yeah, I think yeah. I remember that. Long time ago. Yeah, yeah, a long time ago. Because as soon as they couldn't lose money anymore, they they ceased to exist in those customers' eyes. I'm sure there are people that still shop there. But those people, they probably didn't have to give away all that crap to begin with. You know? What a terrible idea. So they just wasted Lots, hundreds of millions of yeah. dollars. Sometimes, I, and it wasn't that it was a terrible idea. I'm sure some people along the way, I'm sure the initial investors made a lot of money when they went public. But I think that they thought the idea of drugstore.com is great. It's an online drugstore where you can buy things conveniently. Absolutely. That's a good idea. But the thinking that it was going to be a billion dollar website, like it was going to sell a billion dollars worth of drugs a year. That was a mistake. If they had started that company and said, we're going to try to grow to be $100 million for them, that would have been fantastic. And they could have made money on every sale at $100 million. Well, I think they're doing they were doing that a billion in fuzzy sales. math thing where they go, look, they I just, have this many customers. We're just going to grow and grow. And then you ignore the cost of the customer. Exactly. When in reality, if they picked up 10% of those customers were very profitable, probably. They didn't even need the... The deal to be there, they just needed the product and they needed it as soon as they could get it. They wanted it delivered to their house, right? Other people, you know, 50% of those customers were probably bargain hunters and they were going to shop as long as that store was going to give a bargain. And then 40 people were just lured in by the marketing and really had no intention of sticking around ever. So the last person you want—that's an expensive customer. Yeah, at the end. that's the la- yeah. that's the last person you want. You have to buy them every time. They'll jump ship. Then the cheapskates, but they're somewhat loyal, are okay customers because if they come back, you can at least give them a good deal and they'll stick around. But the initial ten percent of people that would buy your service, regardless, if you're trying to be a billion dollar company and you have a hundred million worth of those people. It doesn't matter because you've built this giant warehouse. You've hired all these executives to serve a billion-dollar business. I, I personally think that drugstore.com would have been extremely successful if they had just gone after those people and sold on convenience. You know, like Whole Foods doesn't discount their product, no. right? They no need because to. Because they know that some people will pay more. So they don't compete on price. But drugstore.com 
probably had a good chunk of those people that would have paid more, but instead they tried to be a discounter. And then they got all those people paying less. They're not going to. Who was their you know. competition? I mean, I know you're Amazon a was Amazon. Amazon. So they were trying to outspend Amazon. They were. They were actually trying to get bought by Amazon, but Amazon didn't. Never went for it. No. Amazon bought Beauty.com, which was like a somewhat of a competitor, but in the beauty products area. And then Amazon just was like, "We're going to sell everything." All their marketing was about selling everything. So they picked up the drugstore business. Yeah. But Amazon doesn't do prescriptions. That's where Walgreens and Rite Aid and those guys did. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. So they. So this, they put the hurting on you for a while, drugstore.com? Yeah, they kind of did, to be honest with you. Yeah, but we, we made it work. I mean, we, we moved more into what people were looking to shop in private for specifically, which was like the adult novelties and those type of weird products. And then my company, um, we expanded and acquired. We expanded into the bachelorette party business, which was really good for us. Bachelorette.com is the largest retailer of bachelorette party merchandise. So that's been a really strong business for us for years. Yeah, it and, seems like you you kind of, by doing shop in private, mm-hmm. you, you automatically became, because you're thinking of niche stuff, right? Stuff. Yeah. And then you started acquiring URLs, right? Well, we started, yeah, sort of. We started to defend our, We st- I started to get, Good relate like you need to have good relationships with your suppliers because they know what sells. So if you're buying, you know, you know, wrinkle creams from some guy and you say, hey, "What else do you sell?" He's like, "Well, I have this vaginal dryness stuff." You're like, "All right, that sounds good." You know, like <laughs> that's embarrassing. Yeah. So, and if you don't have a good relationship with the guy, I'll just hand you a catalog, and then there's a million things in there you don't understand. So you need to have that sort of. They get to know you, you get to know them, and they give you good advice. So we had a distributor of adult products that was we were real friendly with and i remember that march after the success magazine article hit we were we sold a bunch of stuff and then we were like well what do we do now and i looked at my warehouse manager who i had hired from the adult novelty distributor and I, well what sells in may she's like oh um bachelorette party stuff sells it's like, oh, what's that? She said, you know, it's like a girl's bachelor party. Okay, so we started bachelorettparties.com, and that started to work really well for us because we were really the only ones selling that type of stuff online. And then we bought the bachelorette.com domain. So, And that's one of that's one of many that you've done like yeah, that. Yeah, uh, bachelorette.com is right, uh, currently our third largest business. Shop and Private was a, our largest for a long time, but now it's our fourth largest. Um. Then we acquired, then we partnered with the guy who owned the name vibrators.com. That's a great URL. That's a great URL. Oh, oh God, was it a great URL? Yeah. And, uh, Don't ever was, let that one go. No, he was a great guy <laughs> and he only owned the name. He had no interest in the product or anything like that. Nothing. He just owned the name. And he was a really wealthy guy. He would come up here to meet with me and he would fly his own jet wow. from Arkansas to here. Cool. Yeah. He had been in the, um, What's that program where they pay you not to farm? You know oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. That was his, it was one of the things he did. He was really smart. Guy. He not farmed? He not farmed. <laughs> I know you like urban farming, but he liked not farming. Hashtag not farmed. Yeah. <laughs> so he did that and he did a bunch of other things. He was just a really smart guy. And um, he bought a hundred domain names early on. He owned realestate.com. What a great idea. He owned like all these things. He, he knew what to buy. His name was Mickey. So Mickey was my partner for a few years. We ran his website because he owned the domain name. And I would write him a check every month for a lot of money. 
And uh, I said, Mickey, when are you going to sell the domain name to me? Because he didn't have any interest in the product whatsoever. You know, did he worked with me because I ran a private company and he knew he wouldn't get sued over it because he ultimately <laughs> owned the site and yeah. other people wanted to work with him, but they were all a little scuzzy. You know, they were from the adult business. I was from the drug. Say it ain't side. so, Tom. Yeah. So I sold him <laughs> on the fact that I was, you know, a legitimate business person. Then he kept telling me, he's, I will sell you the name when you can pay me a million dollars for it, which just sounded absolutely asinine, you know? Still a bargain. Yeah. So they got to a point where um, Bachelorette.com had a really good year, so we had some cash. And I was paying him. So, and I asked him if he would finance the purchase, and he said he would. That's over nice five of him. years, yeah. Okay. And, and the checks we were writing him were large. Like we were writing him like $7,000 checks a month and getting only the use of the name. So I asked him if he would finance the thing. We gave him $200,000 down and we paid him monthly. And the monthly note, five year note on 800 grand was $16,221. So it's an investment in your future, right? So when you break down the $16,000, so I had been paying him like eight. So now I was paying him 16. When I looked at the $16,000, like four grand of it was interest and 12,000 was equity. So instead of paying $8,000 and getting no equity out of the deal, I was paying $16,000 and getting $12,000. No, that was a bargain. So I was actually doing better. I just had to make it work for the five years. Yeah, it hurt while you were doing yeah. it. Yeah, and even and then in the last months, you know, I was writing them a check for sixteen thousand dollars and getting sixteen thousand in, in equity. So, um, yeah, so it hurt like a mother. But we we finished the deal last year, so that was really nice. That's awesome. Yeah, and you got what? You got vibrators dot com. Yeah, Labita, which is Labita is a company we bought out. They had similar values to us. Um, they were started by a sexologist. Uh, she had created this great website with all this great advice, like pr- advice you'd want to read but not ask someone about because she was a sexologist. Oh, PhD. that's perfect. Yeah. And um, she had she had spent a million dollars in investor dollars and had built this web store with all this information. And, um, and you know, they ran out of money. She was losing money. So we took over the... I hate when that We happens. basically... She called me up and we paid her, we paid her debts essentially and uh, moved the business, for, which by then at one point I had a really airy office in San Francisco. And when I took it over, it was in the basement of a UPS store. <laughs> so I, the basement. Yeah. So I moved. So it was fun. I rented before Airbnb. I rented some ladies like um, spare bedroom for like 10 days. And I, and I flew out to, you know, as a married guy, you just don't get to do this. No, I flew don't. out to San Francisco and I took over this business that had like one and a half employees, one of which was like the half employee was in tears the whole time because it was her baby. And I was kind of, I would try to be nice about it, but I mean, I, yeah, how nice could you be? Yeah, I was walking, you know, yeah. and, you have to restructure um, the whole thing, right? And I just, and I basically went out there and I, you know, I closed it down. I wrote the checks to pay the bills and I moved it out of there, you know, and it was, um, it's a really surreal experience to do that, but it was fun to live in San Francisco for 10 days. Yeah. That was somebody's baby that you, yeah. 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 And she, you know, it, it was a real, I think she had, but she had already divorced herself mentally from it, but it was a flop for her. You know, she just needed to get out and it had gone into the black, into the red 
significantly and she needed a way out. So, so we took it over. But when you're drowning, what's that? When you're drowning, I can say from personal experience, when you're drowning, any boat in a storm, right? And I've ran two businesses on the ground and it sucks. Mm. It really does. Mm -hmm. But she was a really nice lady and uh, I hear from her once in a great while. And um, the website still exists. It has a, a fairly loyal customer base. It has great information. It's hard not to let it get a little old because we don't. Part of my business with something like that is you ever hear like you, you know, feed the uh, milk the cows and you feed the stars and yeah, you starve yeah. the dogs. Well, libido.com was a bit of a dog when we took it over. It was losing money. It was buried itself under a mountain of debt. So what did we do? I mean, we took it over and kept all the good information. Um, the toys. If sold sex toys. So that we put our selection of toys. Like we have a, we, I have someone great that works for me that knows everything there is to know about sex toys. And as an, from a woman's point of view, I guess, and I handle the engineering side of it. And we, we have toys that we like. Like if you go to vibrators.com, it's only the best toys. Yeah. That's you like it. test them too, yeah, right? Yeah. As like loud. Yeah. That's our specialty. Yeah, yeah. So libido.com though, had this mishmash of good and bad toys on it. So we got rid of all the bad and supplemented the good with more good and, and turned it over to sell what we sell. So, and it sits and it, we farm it, I guess you'd say like it, you know, orders come in every day. People like to read the website and, and that's good for everybody. Was it worth the purchase? Yeah. Okay. So it's yeah. doing, doing pretty well. Yeah. It was like, um, I think the purchase price was 64,000. So was what it took to basically, pay all the debts and um and it does about that a year okay that's, you know? that's so, an investment it's good yeah so it added to like our the worth of our company and it adds a little bit to the bottom line i guess you'd say yeah. so vibrators, it wasn't some huge thing yeah and no and and as a there was you know the woman who sold it was smart because you know joe schmo couldn't have taken that business over you know would you never take a vacation day to do 64,000 in revenue a year. No, hell yeah, no. you just can't do that. No. Yeah. It needs to be turned over to someone who has a team of people that, so they can rotate through and take, take vacation. Well, it's, it's interesting how you, how you did it too. So, so vibrators.com, that seems like that's, that's the one you guys, well, you, you don't just sell vibrators. There, I went, I went there and there's some ungodly number of vibrators, right? There's yeah, about 600. 10, well, no, but in, in, oh. on the market, oh, on the market, there's seventeen thousand. Yeah, it's yeah. ridiculous. And so right? we narrow that down to like the six hundred best. Yeah, and you, that's wh- our what's job. your testing curators. procedure? And- well, we have a vibration testing meter, so it measures the vibration they put out. That's important. People want powerful toys, and then we have sound testing. We have like a soundproof room that we go in there and measure the sound pressure. It's called the sound. So pressure. people want, yeah, people want quiet vibrators that vibrate a lot. You know, and then. And then they like certain shapes they like or styles they want or a quality level that they like or rechargeable or not. But we want to make sure for any particular type of vibrator, there's probably 20 on the market, very similar. So we will buy a bunch of those and measure them, and then we only sell the best of the best. Put it through rigorous testing. Yeah. Yeah. Not even that rigorous, but you just need to <laughs> you need to separate the best from the worst. You Absolutely. Know? There can be a difference of like two to three times the power output. And some are like twice as loud as other ones. Yeah. It's an it's there's there's no controls in that industry. Nobody tests anything before they buy it. There's a lot of junk out there. Some of the companies don't care about the quality of their product and other companies really, really care. So 
And it's a messy. Well, yeah, because we got to take it back. It made yeah. too much noise. No, My no, neighbor can hear me. Yeah, right? there's none of that. Yeah. yeah so. And a lot of people that buy toys are young women. You know, they might live in roommate situations or dormitories or who knows what. So they they don't want that noise. Or yeah. they might be parents, you know. Mommy, what's that sound? Yeah, yeah. that could be awkward. Yeah, very. <laughs> and so when you're private, go. Mommy had a long week. Yeah, we're in the business of keeping things private. So that's why that's that's our job, right, is to keep things private. How did you advertise since all the traditional, I don't know if you've ever read Seth Godin and yeah, like permission Seth marketing, right? Yeah. And, but like two-thirds of that is your business model just not available yeah, to you right? that's right that's interesting too. so how did you do the advertising in the permission marketing age without being able to permission market right because that's what you did yeah yeah i have a good answer to that so okay. um when i worked at ford and i was a business analyst i would analyze everybody's annual and quarterly reports right that was one of my skills i learned i had no never learned it formally but my bosses and coworkers would say here's the gm annual report Let's look through it. And he'd read through it and find out how they were doing, what's making money on their side and what's not. So it's a fascinating thing. So any company that's public, you can get this information. So I would read the public reports. Drugstore.com was public. So that was my number one indicator. I thought that was fun. Yeah. And it turns out like they would talk about like how much, how much email marketing, how much, how much of their sales were driven by email marketing. And it was like 16%. So 16% of their sales are driven by email marketing. So that leaves 84% that is still available to me, right? So all I have to do is I still get 84%, you know. My repeat customers can still repeat custom, repeat shop. So I just have to acquire them. And there's an acquisition cost to new customers through all these venues. And, and um, yeah, so I didn't have permission to market in a lot of ways, but... I think we gave up maybe 30% of the possible business that was out there through that marketing. And Seth Godin's right that there's a lot of money to be made in permission marketing and that email marketing is inexpensive if you do it right. But it's not free. You no, know, like drugstore.com was spending a lot of money to do really nice email marketing and all of this sort of stuff. And they're, and if, if you're hiring, if you have a full-time content writer to do email marketing alone, I mean, it's it's costly. So everything has to pay for itself. When we took over Libida, they had a mailing list. We sent one email to that mailing list, which basically said there's no more mailing list. But it was interesting to me that, you know, I think their customer base was like 10,000 people, right? So I sent out an email saying, you know, this other new, we're a new company, we're taking over Libida, and there's going to be no email list because we don't do that. But I had to write that email because I don't have a content writer. So I have a copywriter for products. So she helped me. So the two of us work on this email for like a day. So that's a few hundred bucks, you know, at least right yeah. in this. And, and we had to figure out how to get the server to work. And so we're doing all this stuff. And so we spend like I spend maybe two and a half days on this. So now, now it's a five hundred dollar email. And I send it out and you know, there's a great, there is a response to it, right? It goes from like six orders a day to 10 orders that day. But I just spent $500 yeah, wow. to generate $500 in sales. That doesn't, Jeremy, that's not how business works, right? So how do you acquire your customers then? I mean, you, especially since you don't have any of that continuation, that email marketing or yeah. Facebook or well, reviews, the is right? We have something that people want, which is we have privacy and we have answers to embarrassing questions. So if you want the answer to an embarrassing question, you'll probably Google it. 
and there's very few really great answers, like honest and forthright answers, because no one's paying someone to answer questions about jock itch, right? No, no, no. and no, but there's no hobbyists, right? Like you do a whole thing about how to make money, you know, in real estate, yeah. right? And there are other people out there that talk about how to make money in real estate and write about how to make money in real estate because it's interesting, but nobody writes about how to jock itch how to cure toenail no. fungus, no. right? So. We make pages about toenail fungus, and we make pages about which vibrator is best, and we answer that we provide a great private way to answer those questions, and that brings in a lot of people, and that's something drugstore.com never did, and Amazon doesn't do. The product descriptions on their websites are no good. No, they're terrible. But the customer reviews on Amazon are pretty good. Yeah. I love Amazon. But yeah, you read the customer reviews. Just, their descriptions are awful. Yeah, yeah. They can't be relied upon. And there's no great, when there's a bunch of products, there's no great way to shop them all. Like there's no great, there's no category page where you can go and say, show me all of the plates for a bachelorette party. It just doesn't no, exist. No, it doesn't exist. You know, whereas bachelorette.com, if you want to throw a bachelorette party, you would go there and you'd be like, holy cow, I need to throw a bachelorette party. And this place has everything you could possibly do to throw a bachelorette party. It's got great ideas. I never knew these things existed. Like someone has done the work and curated the world's selection of party supplies and put all the bachelorette party stuff in one spot. So it makes it easy. How many websites do you have? Um, I think there's 11 right now. 11. Yeah. How many pages do you think you have oh, across? I mean, it must gracious. just be thousands. It's got to be. Yeah. I mean, we have 2,500 products. So, yeah. And then different websites might sell the same product with a different description. Fair number of videos, too. I see you yeah. guys doing Yeah, we have a studio, and we're in Troy, Michigan, so we have a green screen in-house. So, yeah. So you, I don't, a couple hundred videos, it seems. Yeah, like probably. A ton yeah. of them. Yeah, yeah not, a, not, not a video for every product. We got out of that. Like that was, a, I think I tried to edict that one time and then realized how much it was going to cost. Have you thought about starting a podcast? Yeah. Dude, that'd be a great podcast. You could talk about all the shit nobody else wants to talk about and have yeah. experts on. We've know. had people try to make a TV show about us and that sort of stuff. So I, um, some of these things get a little far away. Like I love this. I, I like coming here. I like talking, obviously. And I, and I love the podcast thing, but I have to provide. I have to make sure my company runs efficiently and I have to provide for my family. And this might be a little bit of a distraction away from that. Could be a pitfall too. I would not be any good at it, but it seems like there would be somebody out there who was like the you of podcasts that maybe you might be able to partner with at some yeah. point in time. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just one of those things. Sometimes you just have to pick your battles. Well, yeah. and although it it's seems like there's like not plenty, to plenty to do too. Yeah. So you do mostly. I would like to do a TV show. We've been very, We've we've tried to make that happen, and uh, we still I still talk to some people out in Hollywood and that type of thing about that. I think that it would be a great format for us because it's really big, and you get the listeners or the viewers right away. They put you on a you know network with a couple million viewers. So yeah, you've pitched several, haven't you? Well, people, I don't generally I don't generally pitch them. People come to me and say, would you like to be involved in this project? So then I, I, I provide them whatever they need, and then I get involved in the pitch. But I'm not a producer. I don't have any connections like that. So I usually working with someone else. Seems I don't like somebody spend any money on it would either. would be able to do something with yeah. you. So. Usually the people, I figure 
they have to spend, they have to put some skin in the game. Like I'll put my time in, but as far as like doing the video and editing and all of that, they have to do that. I'm not putting together a reel. It, my, I would do a bad job of it. Yeah, no, I can't so, do any of that yeah. shit. No. Know what you're good at, right? Stay yeah, know what lane. you're good at. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll bring the funny and the interesting. And well, that's what I was saying. Somebody who is good with video or sound, all they got to do is get you in a place for a certain amount of time. Yeah, and just do a good job recording, and well, half learned, the work's done for them. You know, well, I learned a lesson. I was just out in L.A. in July, and I learned a lesson about TV shows and how they work. I always thought that a successful TV show was a show that had a lot of viewers, right? I think it'd be a lot of advertisers. Yeah, right? that's yeah. the thing. So we created they someone created this reel. Which I I wish I could show it to you, and it was a show about myself and the people that work in my company, and it was very very funny, very funny, and it was a comedy, a workplace comedy, and it was ribald, you know, adult, and some of the things were adult, and, and that's what made it sort of funny because yeah. the things we said were funny, and we showed this, we we got pitch meetings, the people who were pitching it were very well connected in Hollywood and they have a number of successful shows. So we got pitch meetings with the head of programming for like seven networks. So I was in LA for a Man. whole week and we were going from office to office and we we're showing this pitch. It's an eight minute video and they all laughed and laughed. And they told me before the week was the worst thing that can happen is you can show them the video and then they can say, thank you. The more questions they ask, the better you did. And we showed this video and they laughed and laughed and they asked question after question. They wanted to know everything about us, but they all said the exact same thing. We got answers no. right back. I said, we cannot, we don't think advertisers will buy time on this show. Man. And that was it. You know, so it's not about funny. It's not about entertaining. It's not about what, giving people what they want. It's giving advertisers something that they can sell product on. Advertisers are not brave. That's what I... That's where I that's where I fall flat on my face. Yeah, the same thing happened during the dot com bubble. We were unable to get because instead of advertisers, it was investors. Like I would have loved to raise three hundred million dollars, like drugstore dot com. Yeah, because I would have skimmed ten million of it, and, and I would not be talking to you right now. I'd be retired. <laughs> but um, not skimmed. But I would have found a way to pay myself a million dollars a year because I'm a genius. Obviously, oh, yeah. I deserve that salary. But uh, that's not how it works, and. You know, and the investors were the same as the advertisers. They're very conservative and they're, you know, and, and they don't take huge risks like that. So. Not the smart ones anyway. Yeah, not the yeah, smart ones. Not, the, not, smart. The, not one, the ones who stick around. Yeah, not the ones that have that that understand it's there. All money. those drugstore.com fuckers are like, oh, God, what happened? Not mm. the first ones, but everyone, all the subsequent ones, right, when they went public. Oh, the early, you know, some of the early investors, I think, were people that had skin in the game. You know, companies like Neutrogena and those companies invest in businesses like that, so they get on the front page and that yeah. sort of thing. So it's like a back scratch process. And the drugstore.com people, I think, got made fairly whole when Walgreens bought them out. Man. So, so you, you did most, so content advertising, you did create a lot of websites. Yeah, we created a lot of content. Affiliate marketing. Did you do any Google pay per click? Yeah, we do tons of clicks. Yeah. Okay. Very specific things, though. Okay. We're not, we're no waste. There's no room in my business for waste and that type of thing. No. No. Yeah. Probably small. You're doing very volume specific. business. There's, right? uh, I don't know if you're familiar. There's like, um, there's phrase Absolutely. and there's exact match. Yes. So we're all up in the phrase and the exact match. You, you have know? to. Lots or of Google will spend keywords. all your money, man. Yep. Yeah. They you like can, that. They sure do. Boy. 
And then there's just some products that you just can't. If a product has a name that just doesn't make any sense, like it's just too generic, you can't even advertise it. I'm I've not, wondered. Yeah. Like always, maxi pad. You just couldn't possibly advertise no. the word always, right? No, you can't. Yeah. You might be able to, like uh, drugstore.com, if you typed in like always maxi pads, they would probably pick that up. It's like real estate. It's yeah. 15 bucks a click. Yeah. Like, we what? Would, we would pick up always maxi pads super overnight. You know, that's, that's what we pick up, you know, 75 cents. Yeah, no, there we go. No, 75 cents would be a fortune for us. We're like 11 cents, 11 cents. Yeah. Yeah. I know by the time I got to the end of my six months, I had it down about 45 cents, which in real estate was real estate's tough is real. Well, yeah. Cause you got uh, foreclosure.com paying a ridiculous amount. Yeah. There's always someone. Yeah. You can't step on their toes. No. What's I've heard that, um, I was talking one time to a bunch of other internet guys and uh, we were talking about the most expensive clicks they'd ever seen and one guy said that he saw this was earlier internet days he said he saw like um you know like 24 port router or something like that that's that's like something that's fairly expensive you know he said he saw clicks of like a hundred dollars my god and then another guy was like well i saw student loan refinance and that was like two hundred dollars or something like that Student loan refinance. So I've never seen a report. There's probably one out there on the most expensive clicks. I'm sure you could just Google it. But, uh, but man, there's some <laughs> expensive ones out there. All right. For those listening, I have Mr. Tom Nardone. Go to privco.com, shoppingprivate.com, bulletsafe.com, extremepumpkins.com, facebook.com forward slash morganing. Twitter.com forward slash Priveco. Oh, give him a break, Jeremy. No, no breaks. And by the Priveco. way, we are shooting P-R-I-V-E-C-O. live. dot com. We'll be in the show notes as well. We are right now at Always Brewing Detroit, AlwaysBrewingDetroit.com. Hear that background noise, heard some kids screaming, all that stuff. It's because mm-hmm. we are in a real life coffee shop. Mm-hmm. So, And someone must have given that kid like an espresso or something. Yeah, they probably give him like 10 uh, hot chocolates. Here you go, little kid. So, no more so what was, if you don't mind sharing... From one employee in 98 mm-hmm. to end of 2014, where were you at? What were your gross sales? Oh, okay. Um, well, there aren't that many people that work at Priveco. There's eight of us, nine of us, something like that. And I uh, should know. Nine. There's nine, nine. of us. And uh, we do about four and a half million in sales. So um, maybe five. It's pretty good. Yeah. Four and a half. Not, not quite five this year, unless we had a really killer. December. Well, I have a. You want to hear a good joke? I do. I said, uh, there, I do trade shows now with the Bulletproof Vest business, and this is guy Kurt, and Kurt sells rope. I sell Bulletproof Vests, and we're at the same trade shows a lot at Army Navy stores and stuff like that. So I say, he, Kurt's a veteran, and I'm a rookie. So I, and he's friendly, you know. So I ask him questions. So I say, Hey, Kurt, how's your sales show? How's your trade show going? Because mine's going okay. And he goes, Oh, uh, my goal for the trade show is to sell like. 22,000 or some, some number like that. That's my goal. So, and, uh, the trade show costs like maybe five grand to have a booth, like all told to fly in and everything. And Kurt's working solo. I'm working solo cause we're cheap. Yeah. And, uh, so I say, hey, Kurt, how's your, how's your trade show going? He goes, great. One more order. And I was sold a million dollars. I'm like, holy cow, a million dollars? And he goes, yeah, that would have to be one hell of an order, though. (laughs) (laughs) I just got for that hook, line, and sinker. 
So then I tell this other. So then another trade show. I'm next to this old guy. His old, old guy. His name's Arvel. Arvel. He's from the south. That's an old time. Oh name. yeah, Arvel. Arvel. No, no. I'm sorry. It's not Arvel. That's a different guy. His name. This guy's name is Altamond. Altamond. And he's like Altamond. And he goes, Yeah, I've only ever heard of another Altamond in my whole life. So anyway, so I'm next to Altamont for three days. So the third day, I say, hey, Altamont, how's your sales? How's your show going? And he goes, pretty good. How's yours? And I go, oh, it's going well. One more order, and I'll have gotten a million dollars. And he goes, where'd you hear that joke? And I said, Kurt, Kurt from the rope company told me that. And he goes, that's my joke. <laughs> Kurt stole that joke. Kurt stole. So then Kurt comes by later. I say, hey, listen, I hear you've been stealing jokes. He goes, oh, yeah, you're talking to Altamont? <laughs> <laughs> he knew. Yeah. He knew. So you started, was it two years, three years ago? Bulletproof vests. Yeah. How do you end up? I mean, come on. I know you're you're an that's, entrepreneur. Yeah, but that's my background. Bulletproof vests are more like my engineering background. It, it must be. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it seemed like it came out of nowhere. Not for me, it didn't. But no. yeah. All right, you want the story? I do, because oh that okay, is, this a is a highly competitive this market. This is a five too. to ten minute story. Go for it. Okay, so I worked at the helicopter company. I'll try to get it all quick. The story of Tom Nardone and Bullet Safe Bulletproof Vests Origins. I worked at a helicopter company, and they switched their fuel tank liners from Kevlar to high molecular weight polyethylene, and the price dropped 70%, but they stopped bullets just as well. 70% price drop. This is in 1993, and I I was the guy who sent off the things to be shot and found out that they work. So at the time, Bulletproof Vest cost $1,000. Okay, fast forward 15 years, and I'm in a store in Las Vegas in Chinatown, which is where I go to lunch when I'm at a trade show because I like the restaurants in Chinatown. There's a store that sells bulletproof vests. I'm like, I got to go in this place. I've never seen a bulletproof vest store. Like, how does that even happen? A whole store that sells nothing but bulletproof vests. So I go in there, I'm looking around, and bulletproof vests are still $1,000. What are they made out of? Are they Kevlar? No. They're high molecular weight polyethylene now. So I'm like, wait a second. Hold How on. come the fuel tank liners drop 70% in price, but these vests are the same price? So I start to look into it. Why do bulletproof vests cost $1,000? Can you make one for 300 bucks? And the answer is you could make one for $300 if you really focused hard. The reason bulletproof vests are $1,000 is because they're custom cut. They're sold to police departments. They're sold on POs. Police departments pay slow. They require a high touch because they're not good at ordering things. So you have to like go and visit them. They order like one or two vests at a time and you have to go size the people and measure them and all this other stuff there. It's a pain in the neck to sell bulletproof vests. It takes a lot of salespeople. There's like a whole network. I had no idea. I thought maybe they just came out in small, medium, large or something like that. So then how do you make one for 300 bucks? You make it in small, medium, large. You make it in one color. Did you know there's four navy blues out there? Really? So if you want to make something in navy blue and sell it to police forces, you have to carry four different colors fabrics. Did you know that L.A. County has You're its own black. navy blue? What? Why? Bureaucracy, really. Yeah, I, I wonder, too. But it costs these people tons of money, and they don't, they're not aware of it. The reason is because they're not spending their they're own money. They're not spending money. their own money, yeah. <clears throat> that was your so, money. You'd care. Yeah, if it was your money, you would never spend it. So we launched Bullet Safe, which is a company that makes bulletproof vests. They're coming small, medium, large, extra large, 2X, and 4X. There's no 3X. 
and they're available in black only, like the Henry Ford Model T, because I worked at Henry Ford Motor Company in business planning. And then there's $299. So, and police departments don't really like them that much. But security guards love them because security guards get shot at a lot and they previously couldn't afford bulletproof vests. So we've kind of, we came into a market where there was only a premium option and we offered a low cost option. And although the people who are happy to buy the premium product aren't real happy to buy our product, there were more people on the outside of that market looking in who wanted in who couldn't afford it. And that's the success of Bullet Safe. It's interesting. I would not have thought color would be a barrier to entry in the bulletproof vest market, but it goes to show you There's what you don't know. Other things. You don't know. They want them embroidered with their company. They want them like they want specific pouches that they use, like what radio they use, what gun they use, all of that sort of stuff. They want they want very specific things. Police officers and they wear them all day every day, so it's tough, you know, you can't fault them for wanting what works best for them. But on the other hand, it's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. And, you know, so it's it's just one of those deals where it's just a very different market. We've just found a very different market. We These security guards have to buy their own. Um, the other thing about Bulletproof Vests is police departments get a federal subsidy for Bulletproof Vests. The federal government pays um, half. So it's called the Bulletproof Vest Part partnership bvp so so if you you can buy a thousand dollar vest and only cost your city yeah. 500 bucks so i think they did this in the real estate market yeah. too so they artificially yeah so they've yeah. artificially kept the price high because nobody cares no but the security guards don't get the v, bvp money you know private yes, security. i saw look at the website at least as of yeah. november december whatever day it is 2015 uh-huh. It was two ninety nine on your website? Yeah, it's two ninety nine. Yeah, it'll it's be two ninety nine for a long time. Yeah, it's a steal. It's a, it's a steal. Yeah, it's a great deal. And it's a great vest. You must have twenty or thirty videos now uh, of shooting that vest, which is about everything you can get. Besides a tank, you haven't yeah, shot it with I a mean, tank we use yet. Like in, but, yeah, we use an independent test lab to do the shooting, and they give you a certificate, and then nobody cares. But they want to watch your YouTube. Hell video. yeah, yeah, that's the human part. I want to watch Tom shoot it with a Desert Eagle. Yeah. That's right. That's why I shoot it with a desert Hell eagle. Hell yeah. You know what works. Yeah. Desert eagle. Like. The gun's bigger than you are. This <laughs> is huge. This is a ridiculous gun. And you shot it three times, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Stopped all three. I yeah. never would have thought in my life that plastic would yeah, stop that. Polyethylene. Yeah, sure. It's good stuff. You know what? It's, what was that movie? It's magic. Good it engineering is, is, is indecipherable from magic. It, it, we're like we're living in the future, it's right? Amazing. So, but that wasn't enough. Somehow you're like, you know what you need? Bulletproof hat. How yeah. am I going to fund this? Kickstarter. Kickstarter. How'd that come about? Okay, so um, what made you think? What uh, do you need to stop a bullet from hitting? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. All right. Here's how. Um, so. Uh, a lot of places that sell bulletproof, my bullet safe bulletproof vests are Army Navy stores. That's where me, Kurt, and Altamond are hanging out at the Army Navy store. I love store Army Asia. Navy stores, by I the way. I do too. Yeah, they're great. Harry's surplus. In yeah, that's where I got favorite. my knife. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's my favorite one. Yeah. And, uh, but Joe's also. Anyway, plug in my customers here. Yeah, plug them all. So, um, Army Navy stores sell used vests that's who we compete against like for years have been selling used worn out bulletproof vests for 300 bucks so now we they can sell new ones but they also have worn used helmets like military helmets and 
to be honest with you, the old worn out helmets still stop bullets pretty well. Yeah. So I have all these customers and I can go into their store and they all have a shelf. Almost all of them have a shelf with a few helmets on it. And they'll be like bulletproof helmets, 75 bucks, 50 bucks. So police departments, when they buy bulletproof helmets, they get them brand new with all the stuff they like on them and they pay like 650. So people would keep asking me at trade shows, Hey, are you going to do, you did a low cost vest. Are you going to do a low cost helmet? Like we'd buy one if you could do it for $400. That's what the police departments would say. But I know they won't because they won't be customizable. So, and I look at my retailers and they're not going to buy them because they already have a bunch of unselling used helmets for $75. Am I going to offer a new one for 400 bucks? No. So it's going to be a flop. Then I look at who uses my vests. Security guards, guys that work at a bank or fill ATMs. Are those guys going to wear a bulletproof helmet around? No. Could you imagine if you walked in the bank and there was a guy standing there with a bulletproof helmet on? I'd just turn around and walk out. Yeah. Ridiculous. I said, well, what do they wear? Cops and security guards all the time were wearing baseball hats. So I said, man, there's some space up there, you know, in the front of your hat, behind your Detroit Absolutely. <clears throat> I wonder if we could fit a bulletproof panel up there. And there's some new technologies with these compressed polyethylene plates. They're like made out of polyethylenes, but they, they're hard. They stop bullets really well. Said, Man, we should take this new technology, stick it in a baseball cap, and see if it works. So I built one. And, Mad uh, scientist. Yeah, built one. I actually made it out of cut up, cut up chunk of helmet, stuck it in a baseball cap just to see if it would fit up there. And sure enough, it fit. Then I shot it, put it on a cantaloupe or something, and shot it. Stop the bullet. I like, hmm. thought it might fold in or this might break work. in half, you know. So then uh, then I got the tooling estimate to do it. It was like 15 grand. So I was like, uh, hey, Lisa, that's my wife. I'm going to spend 15 grand to do a hat. That may or may not sell. That may or may not, not sell. She's like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, bulletproof vests are is very different financially from the Priveco, other Priveco business. The other Priveco business, we buy other people's stuff. And we get 30 days to pay for it. Yeah. So we can net sell it. Net 30 kind of yeah, thing. Net yeah, net 30 type of thing. So we can sell it and then pay for it. Or at least close, you know. Bulletproof vests. We have the stuff. We have to buy the raw materials. Have to have all the stitching done. Hell, we own these vests for like 60, 90 days. They've been paid for before we sell them. Yeah, that's so a lot as of inventory. The, yeah. And as that business has grown, like in one year, we went from holding like, Thirty grand in vest to like one hundred and thirty thousand yeah. dollars in vest. So that extra hundred thousand dollars that adds up had to come out of my pocket. Yeah, right. That's called negative cash flow, folks. Yeah. So there wasn't fifteen grand to do tooling for a hat, you know. So I kind of let it die, like the hat, for about a few days, and then one day I was like, "Hey, I should do a Kickstarter for this thing. Like, I have my example, you know, I have video of this happening. Like, we well, should make a video." So we made a video. And uh, sold, I forget, a hundred of them, over a hundred of them, 110 of them, pre-sold them. And that was enough money to, A, tell us there's a market for this thing, B, to get us a bunch of media exposure, and C, to almost pay for the tooling. So A ton of ton, media ton. exposure. Yeah, a ton. You're, you're perfect. You're like an expert <clears throat> yeah. at that. I learned all about it. And then, get this, so here's, my friends will laugh at this one. So not only does my Kickstarter experience... um Get me exposure for being on Kickstarter. But the, I had also done an Indiegogo project a year prior for a bulletproof backpack panel. 
And that went How okay. How did I miss that? Yeah, that's a smaller. So then Success Magazine, every 10 years, they come calling. Success Magazine, 15 years. <laughs> Success you, Magazine Success. was doing a piece on people who had done crowdfunding successfully. And I was like, well, I have a successful Kickstarter program and a successful Indiegogo program. So then they asked me all about it. And I was, I'm in a piece in Success Magazine for that. So I got exposure for getting exposure. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you decide how to set up your Kickstarter campaign? I know there's some pros, cons, Mm -hmm. there's probably some sort of formula. Is there a formula or how'd you figure it out? Or yeah. Um, well I had done a Kickstarter for the mower gang. Actually I'd done two. The first Kickstarter we did raised some money to so that I could feed people while we made a maze in some tall grass. And this was when Kickstarter first came out. So I had some experience with that. Then I did another Kickstarter where we, we um, raised money to buy swings for swing sets in Detroit. And that was really successful. I wanted to raise like $800 and we raised like 3200 Damn. So that was a big deal. And um, then when I did the Bulletproof Backpack Panel, so it's like a bulletproof panel for kids backpacks um kickstarter wouldn't allow it because they had a ban on like safety no safety related products were allowed so i had to do it on indiegogo okay which was interesting i mean i did it i shot the video with my kids they were cute it's really light dad you know and i can crack an egg on it and then you can wash it right you know stuff like that really cutesy stuff and that was successful but there was something there was something different about the Indiegogo campaign. When you Kickstarter, you use your Amazon login. And I think a lot of people have Amazon accounts. But when you I in, do. Yeah, when you Indiegogo, you have to create an Indiegogo account. And there's a lot less trust involved there. Separate checkout, separate everything. So I think that that was a hindrance. So uh, although we got lots of publicity for our Indiegogo campaign, it didn't turn into as much money as I thought it should have. So um, then something lucky happened. Somebody came out with this motorcycle helmet on Indiegogo, and that was like, that's the highest grossing Indiegogo campaign ever. So Kickstarter added a safety products category. They didn't like that. They didn't like that at all. Wait a second. They almost had, I think they really almost had Indiegogo out of business before this motorcycle helmet. So, um, so I got to go back to Kickstarter where I had a successful account. And then, then when you tell your friends on Facebook about it, they, they buy. Like people buy on Indiegogo, on, on Kickstarter, I mean. So um, so what did I learned in the process? An Indiegogo um, or Kickstarter campaign needs a great video. It doesn't need a Hollywood great video, but it needs a clear message and it needs to look good. Like not great just good. The sound has to be good. You need to hire like a film student or someone to make your Kickstarter video. You need a good quality video, right? A good quality video. You can learn how to do a Kickstarter Indiegogo campaign right. You can learn how to do it in a day. And then you could, if you really know a lot of good people, you could put the whole thing together in a week if you have a functioning prototype of your product. If you don't have a functioning prototype of your product, they're never going to allow you to be on Kickstarter. You can't, it's not wishes and prayers. You need to have something functioning. So I have the prototype first. Yeah. So I had the prototype, remember? Yeah, you were ready. Yeah, I was ready. I was ready to do it myself. And then it's kind of weird too, because, you know, like here on the other hand, on one hand, people invite me to the radio shows like this because I'm successful. On the other hand, I'm asking for people 
to give me money. So that was kind of odd. But what you're really doing is you're pre-selling. I was going to say, this goes back to the the quote, though, right? You're figuring out a way, like, okay, I don't want to risk any more of my own capital. I got 150, 200 grand tied up in yeah. inventory now that I'm yeah, hocking. Yeah, so what options are there for me? Right, and... So you find the best one. To get one great idea, you need 100 ideas and a system to determine which one is the best. And That's if nobody right. funded it, that would be potentially a good indicator that... There Absolutely. Wasn't a market for I had it. I did a Kickstarter one time nobody funded. Okay. And what was that? It was for a new brand of toilet paper. <laughs> I want to hear about this. No. No. Uh, no, I'll tell you about it. It was Just a quickly. flop. It was, it was a very a quick flop. A long time ago, Shop and Private sold a brand of toilet paper called Shit Be Gone. And we sold the heck out of it. But nobody else carried it. It was created by some artist in New York City and he didn't know what he was doing. But he created this shit be gone toilet paper, you know? So it's funny. But to be perfectly honest with you, it couldn't go anywhere because it had the word shit in it. So yeah. no supermarket's going to take it, right? So I, and I, I thought be gone is funny, but I wanted a double meaning name. So I wanted to do, so he had long gone out of business. I tried to buy the business from him, but he asked some crazy amount. So I was like, screw you. It's just a name. Yeah. So I wanted to call my toilet paper crap away. Like, hey, dude, go crap away, you know, crap away. I love it. It takes crap away, too, yeah. right? And I thought it was cute. Like, I made a video, and it was like, we're finally going to be, toilet paper is, is a by nature sort of a funny product, and we're going to have a sense of humor. So I know that, you know, Charmin's got the bears pooping in the woods and all that sort of stuff, but I mean, aren't they taking it a bit too seriously? We just want to make this product. And we want to have, out. this was what the money was going to do. You're going to pre-order some through Kickstarter. And that was, we're going to, we were going to try to sell enough of it that we could buy a space at a trade show and make enough of it that we get our own packaging. Because to private label toilet paper needed like 50,000 rolls. Damn. So, and I just wanted to go to the consumer products trade show, like the supermarket products trade show and have a booth, shake everybody's hand and see if they wanted to put crap away on the shelves, you know? It would only take like one or two chain, one or two type of stores to make it successful. And uh, as far as what the product was, it's going to be pretty much the same toilet paper everybody else sells, you know? Just different name. Just a fun name, yeah. Fun brand of toilet paper. Nope. No, it didn't go anywhere. Well, I needed to raise a lot of money. I think I needed to raise $15,000, and I raised like 2500 Good indication it wasn't going to go anywhere. Good indication that I was wasting my time. Yeah. yeah. That's $2,500 funny, but not $15,000 funny. No. Yeah. And better it's not your $2,500 too, Mm -hmm. right? I mean. Yeah. So what did it cost me to find that out? Damn near nothing. Time. Right? Damn near nothing. Yeah. Like I got great consumer research because it wasn't successful financially, but from a public relations standpoint, that project still exists today on like the top 10 craziest Kickstarter <laughs> projects ever. Or, you know, speaking like of it was which, number three of the craziest projects that year, you do have a Richard Branson kind of just your approach to life kind of feeds into your business. And, I'm sure you love carving pumpkins. I know you do. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I know you love Detroit Mower Gang. Yeah, I really like the Mower Gang. Yeah. Right. And these are things you like to do. Uh huh. But you're not just but they end up, yeah. you're not just carving pumpkins, and you're not just mowing grass. You you're a man with a plan. You have a way of galvanizing people and getting good 
getting good. English teacher, publicity, yeah, yeah, would roll over in her grave. Receiving great publicity, yeah, and and it's genuine too. So you're not doing it to generate the publicity, but you're doing it and knowing that you're very likely to generate the publicity, but you're already doing what you want to do anyway. All right, yeah. Here's how that works. Would that be a good summary of? Okay, so here's here's how that works. So I am a guy that gets a lot of publicity, right? But a lot of people think I'm a guy who seeks a lot of publicity. That's not true. Like I don't interested in some cool stuff. Yeah. What I seek is if I do something, if I'm going to take the time away from my wife and kids, who I love very dearly, to do something, it better be something cool. That's all. Something so, that other people yeah. might want to do with you. Yeah. Too. So if I'm going to go and carve pumpkins at the Detroit Zoo, I'm not just going to carve pumpkins. I'm going to make like a device that smashes pumpkins into each other, and makes a tremendous mess. Yeah, I love that because by the way. that's what people want to see, right? Or if I'm going to go mow the pumpkin, grass, yeah, thumper. I yeah. love that thing. If I'm going to go um, mow grass in Detroit or do volunteer work in Detroit, cleaning up a park, I'm not going to show up and pick up Burger King wrappers with a stick. No. Right, I'm bringing like 25 horsepower lawn tractor and a case of beer, right? So I just don't want to do things the way other people have always done things. So that's that's just how I work. So let's talk about your because you sold, and then I'll tell everybody about it because yeah. I want people to come and join me. You care about it, well, and I want people to come have a good yeah. time, and it is a good time. Yeah, and then eventually, you know, I've been out doing weird things for a while, so. Eventually, your circle of friends involves people that are reporters and things like that. And they're just dying for something interesting to happen so they can write their column for the day. Yeah, they have 500 words they have to go out every day, no matter what, or some amount of words weekly, Mm -hmm. and they need content, right? Yeah, and by telling these people about what's going on, you're helping them. You're not bothering them. A press release does not bother anyone. It helps them get their job done that day. And this has been great for your brand. So you have sold over a half million copies of books. Yeah. So you made money. You had three bestsellers. Yeah. And yeah. you got a shit ton of publicity. And it looks like you had a shit ton of fun, too. I mean, yeah. you look like you're having a. I went through. If I, I watched, wasn't so busy, if I didn't have another job. Like if I didn't run a business, October would be the greatest month of. Oh yeah, world. you when you were with Conan, yeah. and all the I could just tell you were having a, lot of fun. a great. Conan was the one with my with my favorite, the Pumpkin Thumper. Yeah, I love that thing. And for those listening, you got to go watch the video. Go to Priveco.com and they have all of it right there. But the Pumpkin Thumper is like this metal rod, kind of like it's an like axe. a mallet. Yeah, it's a cross between a mallet, a giant mallet, like an axe, and a cookie cutters that carves out a pumpkin's pumpkin. face and you smack the pump and it actually i mean it doesn't work great but it works five percent of the time every time works actually fairly well <laughs> and you get to smash your pumpkin with yeah. some big medieval you thump it yeah <laughs> so it's a lot of fun so how did you decide to write those books i know you must have been interested okay. in pumpkin carving, yeah right? so, well here's how it works i mean i was making websites right and then my business is very slow in october like the bachelorette party ah, business slows down okay. in October because people are having Halloween parties instead of bachelorette parties. And then the toy business picks up in November, December, but people buy a lot of toys for gifts. So vibrators.com slow, bachelorette.com slow. So I'm kind of sitting around doing a lot of nothing. And I used to live in Ferndale in this neighborhood where there was just hundreds of kids trick-or-treating. And I didn't have any 
decorations. So I would go down to Eastern Market and buy a bunch of pumpkins and light them on fire and carve them with a sawzall <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. So I was sort of like the neighborhood joker with the pumpkins. And then one day the news came by, Fox 2. I came home from work selling sex toys, right? And there's a Fox 2 news van in my driveway. And I'm like, uh, am I in trouble for something? And the guy's like, hey, are you Tom Nardone? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, hey, can you carve us a pumpkin? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I carved you a pumpkin. So I carved a Priveco.com, pumpkin. Right? <laughs> no, I carved up a pumpkin with a jigsaw. And then, like, it just made the news. Like, it, they broadcast it. And then if a local Fox affiliate does something good, it spreads. So then it went to all around the country, you know, a guy carves pumpkins with power tools. And, and then I started to do, the website was getting millions of hits. And um, then once I had a successful website and a bunch of TV appearances, then I got the book deal. So then the book deal, so I wrote a book and that came out through Penguin. What year was this? 2004, maybe. Okay. And, so you, uh, you built the traffic to the website first. Yeah, the website was already successful. Yeah. Then, so the website was successful first. Then the TV thing started to happen. Then I got, then the book people saw me on TV. Then wrote a book. Then with the power of the book com- publisher and the publicist there, that's like someone who gets you PR. That's when I did all the talk shows. So, and then the first book became a bestseller. They were, it went crazy. And then, so they had me write a second book. Second book came a bestseller. And they had me write a third book. Third book became a bestseller, but not as much as the first two. And that's, and then I just have done publicity since then on those three books. So, yeah. How many, every time you go, October rolls around and you do your Detroit Zoo or yeah. whatever you're Detroit doing. Detroit Zoo is my big gig. I that's zoo, that's yeah. a big one, right? Because I have like an installation there. I have a stage and all of my tools and I can light things on fire. Yeah, you take it pretty seriously. You have, Mm. just a, a slew of tools, power tools, yeah. hand tools. I have a big crowd. I mean, when I do, I do a show like twice an hour and there'll be like five or 600 people each time. So I'm playing to like six, 7,000 people a night. So that's, I mean, that's like rock band territory. So I feel like I have to bring something really special. So it better be something big. I'm not just going to sit there and diddle away on it. It's pretty good. Go to extremepumpkins.com because yeah. we're talking about it right now. You're like, what are you talking about? Go look at the pictures. Go go look at the videos there. Yeah. It, it's a production. It's he puts on a production. Yeah. It's something you like doing. I obviously. do enjoy it. I like kids. I like entertaining kids. I have kids of my own. I have a kid's mentality. If it's funny for a kid, I think it's funny. So, yeah. Well, yeah, it's funny. It's funny. It's funny. Your kid Smashing adult, pumpkins right? is funny. Absolutely. I, was just, I took my kids uh, ice skating on Saturday. We just went to like the ice rink, you know, pay five bucks, go to the ice rink. And we're skating around. And this little kid in a hockey helmet and gloves, because that's to be, he says, Hey, you. I said, Yeah. He goes, Are you the guy that smashes pumpkins at the zoo? <laughs> I said, yeah, that's me. And I gave him a high five. You're famous. Yeah. With the children. Among the children. With the five to nine crowd. Yep. That's fine with me. (laughs) It's fun to do, but it does generate a lot of publicity too. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. A lot of positive publicity. Sure. It's good. It's a, yeah. I mean, I don't work at the zoo for free. I mean, they pay me too. So there's some money there too. I can't tell you how many times. Nice to have someone pay you to do your hobby. Yes. And they provide all the pumpkins. My God. That's the other reason why I smash so many of them. Thousands of dollars. So I literally have an unlimited, I don't know if it's thousands, but I have an unlimited pumpkin budget. (laughs) I smash, I go through like 16 pumpkins a night. That's a lot of pumpkins. How long do you plan to smash all these pumpkins? I mean, 
oh, I'll smash pumpkins until I can't smash them anymore. Yeah. yeah. I wanted I want one of those. Your little pumpkin thumper thing, that just looked like the funnest thing. I'm like, That's dude, fun. you, you might be able to sell that. I made a giant mallet this year, like a Gallagher mallet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, of a so I, added, a I added that to my act. So the, so if I use the thumper, the thumper doesn't work very often. Like maybe really I say 5% of the time every time. So when it fails, <laughs> 5% of the time. so when it fails, I, I break out this big mallet and I just smash it into bits and just got pieces go everywhere. And the kids think that is the funniest thing. They've oh, ever yeah, seen. It is funny. Gallagher was a hilarious comic. Yeah. Smashing things is funny. I don't care. What smashing things. Said. Everybody wants Especially to smash. Especially if you can do a little showmanship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, all right. How did, because you're in a, you apparently had 15 extra spare minutes someday and decided <laughs> that, uh, you're going to start mowing. Yeah. Grass uh-huh. in Detroit parks for those listening. Um, Detroit's you, changed a lot. I don't want, have you figured out like something in my, like, what is this guy? How does this guy do all this stuff? Well, I was wondering when I you sleep. I don't watch any TV. I sleep. I sleep. I sleep well. I'm a good sleeper. I sleep like six hours, six to six and a half hours a night. And it's plenty for me. Like if I go to bed any earlier, I wake up before the alarm. So I get my sleep. I don't have to sleep too much. Like my wife likes like eight hours, but I like six. Um, I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't watch any either. Yeah. None. I just, I, we have a TV, but I just, I have no, I can't sit still. And I, you know what else I don't do? I never, ever, hardly go to the movies. I haven't been in three years. Yeah. One movie a year. I just bought tickets, though, to the Star Wars premiere. I was going to wait a month. Well, yeah. yeah. I got them. I went on Fandango and I got like the 7 p.m. Friday night show because my kids, you know, you got tickets. Well, yeah. If I had three kids, it'd be different. Yeah. I don't. Just me yeah. and me, the wife, and a bunch of dogs. I was thinking cats. of making really, really crappy um, Star Wars costumes, <laughs> just like really terrible ones. You know, I, just, uh, just have you ever seen? There's a picture out there of these college kids, like a dormitory photo, and they just had like the worst tal- Star Wars costume. Put all your kids in like R two D two is like a kid wearing like a trash can, you know, and like uh, Yoda is some kid who's like painted his face green and like a marker yeah and um chewbacca is some dude wearing like a brown bath mat over him you dress know. your kids up that so, way so yeah i was thinking me and the wife and kids could dress up you know it'd be all these people in these awesome costumes and we'll be in these really terrible ones that would be, be funny fun. and if anybody makes fun of you you can just say your kids made them and then watch them run i away. could just be like look we're dressed up you yeah. know my kids made these man so you had a, a spare 15 minutes and you decided you oh, to start go? mowing grass. Yeah, and for yeah. those listening, Detroit's changed a lot, but there was actually, before Detroit went bankrupt, like two or three years where essentially we were bankrupt and we all pretended we weren't, <laughs> right? Like nothing got done, everything got overgrown, mm-hmm. everything fell behind, and one of those things were parks. Detroit has a ton of parks. Three, over 300. And a lot of kids play at these parks, mm-hmm. and they quit mowing most, if not all. Yeah, they were down to like 105. They were keeping in good. Yeah. They were supposedly keeping in good order. So they they were supposedly. closing 100 parks. Yeah, which meant they don't close them. They don't build a wall around them or shut the gates. They just stop mowing them. Yeah, they stop taking care of them. Yeah. So um, so when I worked at Ford, we did a lot of volunteer work. So that was good. And then I had little kids and you know and a wife and everything, and I had stopped. So that didn't. That wasn't me. I like to sort of help. No, I'm not John George of Blightbusters, but no. I, I like to help out a little. But uh, with my schedule, I just couldn't. 
commit to things. Like I couldn't go to a park cleanup on a Saturday morning. So the city announced they're going to stop mowing parks. And one of the parks I drove by all the time. And um, so I decided it's not very big either. It's maybe about the size of a football field. It has a basketball court and a swing set. It's at I-75 and 8 Mile Road, if anyone's in the area. And I thought, man, you know, I bet I could mow that park if I had a lawn tractor. And I'm one of those guys that always sees them at Home Depot and things. Yeah, you should have a lawn tractor. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I have a van. Like my company has a cargo van. I have ramps because I ride dirt bikes and motorcycles, so I got ramps. So all I need, literally all I need is a lawn tractor, and I love Craigslist. So buying something on Craigslist, I wish there was a job where you buy stuff on Craigslist for other people. So I went out and I bought a $250 lawn tractor on Craigslist, and then I was in business. And then I could go whenever I felt like it. Like if I had a spare two hours during the day and I was just sitting at my desk and I needed to just think about something, try to figure out what idea was best or what I was going to write about this or what the press release was going to say. Well, I mean, what's the point of staring at your computer screen? It just distracts you with email and internet and Facebook and all that. So why not load up the lawn tractor and drive down to the park and mow it? So that's what I would do. It's really cathartic. You just drive around in rectangles. It's pretty and fun. Yeah, it's just fun. Ridiculously fun. Yeah, it's kind of, well, when there's a bunch of people, it's fun. But when you're by yourself, it's just like meditative. So I started mowing this park and I was like, hey, this works pretty well. Like this is, I get this done. Like I, I can mow the whole thing. I can drive this thing back up in the van. I could jump in the van and drive home. And I, I did something like, damn it. This is like, I did something cool. And kids had come right out and then start playing on the swings and asked me what I was doing. And it was cool. So then I found there was an abandoned velodrome in Detroit. And I found that at Durai Park. You've been there. Absolutely. And, uh, Several times. And I was like, holy cow, this thing is like That's cool. crazy that there's this banked bicycle racing track in Detroit. You realize you kind of rediscovered that yeah, in Detroit, that's right? that's right. Yep. Yeah. And uh, yeah, thanks for that. And then I realized it was amazing at how far, like under vegetation it had grown. And I thought I could clean it up in a weekend. Did you know that? <laughs> You're an ambitious guy. Yeah. So I created a group and invited anyone I thought would use a velodrome to come help clean this thing up. Bicycle clubs, mountain bike clubs, all these people. So I went on the email campaign, you know, sending out emails to people and hardly anyone showed up to the cleanup day. But the people that did show up that they didn't know brought their bikes and whatever. And the Detroit news showed up. There you go. And they made a great video of our failed attempt at like we spent all day on this thing and we made it so you could go around it. Like there was a path around the fifth of a mile or whatever, like a single path. But I just worked on it all summer. You know, I only did that park on the corner and then the velodrome all summer long. And eventually I got the mower running right and I got all the other stuff and I, and I got it done. And, um, yeah, and they made, made a hero out of me over it. And in the meantime, it's I met pretty a, fucking cool, man. Yeah, thanks. And I met a lot of nice people. Like when you do nice, there's someone told me the saying, when you do nice things, you meet nice people. Absolutely. And so all the people that came out, like yourself, they're great guys great, and women, and they help other people. And who else would you want to spend your time with? I've met so many people there. Sean, Megan, yeah. you. All these people. Great, great Tons people. of people there. And, they, and, um, and they're friendly and they come back time and time again and they, use their own equipment and they're just really really the greatest so um yeah so and then i i just plan the events like i just say okay on wednesday we're gonna mow here so i don't really do that much and then i show up so maybe 
you know, five, six hours a week and it gets, you know, 20 or 30 people out for three or four hours a week. So it's really amplified into a very effective group. Cool group. I too. like it. Yeah. And I for, really for those listening, a velodrome is kind of like a pitched uh, racetrack. Yeah. They have it in the Olympics. It's like yeah. a, Banked racetrack, like a looks like NASCAR would race yeah, on. They it, ride bikes on it's, it. It's the size of bicycles. Yeah. And Detroit has the only abandoned one in the entire world. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. We rode cool. Uh, lawnmowers on it, which yeah. is actually scarier than you think. Yeah. It's really steeply banked. It's steep. It doesn't look like it. I, I have a video. I'll, yeah. I'll make sure to put it in there too. The Sean website for the Mower Gang is mowergang.com. Yep. And that leads right to the Facebook group, if I'm not mistaken. Right? Yeah. 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 There's some pictures on mowergang.com, and then it, it, all the action happens on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash mowergang. Really cool group of people. Yeah. Too. Like a biker so, gang, but yeah. with lawnmowers. Yeah. Fun biker gang. Yeah. Right? Nice. Well, you had that uh, somehow. So you just, you're like, a, you are a publicity machine, right? So doing mower gang, you. I remember you posted that we were going to do some weird barbecue, and I didn't even know really what was going on, but you said some TV might show up or something like that. No, I didn't say that at all. I just said we're having a barbecue. I wasn't allowed to say it. Oh, you weren't allowed? Yeah, and keeping secrets is my specialty, remember. Yeah. That's my job. It is. Shoppingprivate.com. Yeah, so, yeah, so the people from Bizarre Foods contacted me, and they said, uh, we had no. We clue. want to work with you. And I said, oh, great. They said, what do you do that has to do with food? I was like, uh, <laughs> you want me to think of something? They're like, yeah. I said, do you want me to think of something right now, or do you want to th- want me to send you something tomorrow? And they said, right now. <laughs> I said, oh. no pressure, Tom. Well, I was thinking of having a gross out barbecue because when I did the <laughs> the last pumpkin book, I did this thing called the meat corpse. It was an entire looked like a human corpse made out of roasted cuts of meat. Like the ribs were ribs. I miss that. Oh, it was awesome. It was so delicious. (laughs) The thighs were legs of lamb. Anyway, so I was like, um, we were going to have a gross-out grill barbecue. They're like, what's that? And I said, well, it's when one guy has like a barrel grill and everybody brings like what they think is the most disgusting food that they are willing to eat. And then we all try to gross each other out. I said, well, what will people bring? So I don't know. These guys are pretty. I couldn't think of anything. So yeah. it's like, I don't know, but these guys are pretty crazy. <laughs> and then that was enough. That is true. Too. Like, we want to be involved in that. I said, okay. So then I put it up and it sounds fun. Gross out grill, right? You brought, you made some crazy turducken thing. I didn't follow the directions at all. No, no. You made no. something delicious. Yeah, I did. Yours was like turkey wrapped in corned beef or something. Oh, it? yeah. I did a whole thing. With so, coney sauce on Yeah, top. no, I did a, uh, I took a turkey, had it boned, and yeah. then I did short, uh, boneless short ribs, yeah. so I smoked them, and then I did coney dogs, um, and I did corned beef. Corned beef, yeah. It was and all the I Detroit wrapped things. that all together, and then I smoked and barbecued the whole thing, and then yeah. cut it, and then served it with coney chili. Yeah, yeah. that was good. I did um, a pig's head. You did. And then Somebody I, did a raccoon, That too. was my buddy, Matt. I bought the raccoon for him because he couldn't get the Eastern Market. When you buy a raccoon, it comes with the... There's no fur on it. That's how they... A whole raccoon is like five bucks, by the way. And the it's reason it's five dollars is because they sold the fur. They, they farm raised them, and then they sell the fur, so they just have this carcass. When you get it, it still has the paws attached. Like, it's so... Un, it's gutted, but that's it. So you had to chop the paws off with a cleaver because they're all hairy. <laughs> so that was pretty gross. Yeah, it was gross. Actually. Yeah, he did a good job of good. cooking it. I guess you have to cook it a few times. Zimmern said that they normally taste terrible, but his didn't taste so bad. Yeah, then that was cool. We got the meat, and that was a total Andrew shock. And yeah, from Bizarre Foods came yeah. out. Yeah, 
Yeah, he came to Priveco too. We taste tested uh, penis gummies from Bachelorette.com, <laughs> which the crew thought was hilarious. I swear to God, that man will eat anything. He's right? really a nicest guy. He really was great to work with. I got to spend uh, like a day and a half with him. And uh, my favorite part, my favorite Andrew Zimmerman story is there's all these people like we're shooting that barbecue thing and just people are coming out of the woodwork from the neighborhood. And he walked over to the ice cream man and he gave the ice cream man a hundred dollar bill. I remember that. Yeah. And the ice cream man gave him a couple of boxes of ice creams and everybody had ice cream on Andrew Zimmerman. Those kids were happy. Everybody was happy. Yeah. Even in Zimmerman and I, you did you have one? I had I one. didn't know. Dude. I was I like, I am busy. not passing up the he gave one of the boxes to me and we went went around and handed out ice cream. I didn't have thing. one. I was panicking because for I'm so glad because I had no idea. Away. I did a trial run the day before uh-huh. and fucked the whole thing up. Oh yeah. So I was doing Yeah. This is for real. And then I realized when I get there, wait a second, the steaks are real too. Uh-huh. So I was I was stressed. You I know, my favorite food that day was the heart. I'd never had beef heart before, but I it was delicious. Yeah. yeah. It I was beefy. Beef heart. Deer heart too. Oh yeah. I haven't had that yet. Yeah. So that you, was so that was a fun event. That was awesome. They still run it on TV. Yeah. Well, I've it's hilarious. I've done all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I've I'm not you, but I've had a ton of mm-hmm. a fair number of TV shows and mm-hmm. all that. And I had a first groupie. You know, that I was like waiting for that. Oh, I saw you on, yeah. on CNN. No. <laughs> hey, you did that turducken thing with Andrew Zimmern. Let me get a picture with you. I'm like, that's it, really? That's what you get. 10 yeah. years of real estate and one TV show where mm-hmm. I was in it for 15 seconds. That's funny. <laughs> So thank you, Tom. You're very welcome. You got me my That's first the recognition groupie. you get from being in the motor gang. All you get for all you get is recognition. My 15 seconds of fame and my first my That's first selfie. Funny. So how you met your wife before? Someday you'll get this. Someday you'll get this. The person um, recognizes you, but is not impressed by you. Oh. So they say like, "Hey, because uh, I'm on the cover of the bulletproof vest catalog because I'm cheap and I work for free, right?" So I put on the bulletproof vest, someone takes my picture, and boom, I don't have to sign a model release or waiver or hire a model because it's me. Smart too, right? Photoshop my double chin away, and there you go. <laughs> so I go into a store and they go, Hey, I know who you are. So, oh, really? He goes, You're that, you're the guy on the cover of the bulletproof vest catalog. I said, Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm Tom. Nothing. I'd never like, buy not one even, of those. No, 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 no. Not even doesn't that? say, doesn't say, Oh, you know, it doesn't say that's great. Doesn't say his name because I'm like holding out my hand. No, nice to meet you. Nothing. Nothing. Just I recognize you. Hey, that's that's winning of a sort, though. That's what, that's what uh, that's, you know, because I imagine if you're even Tom Cruise, there are some people out there that don't like Tom Cruise. And although if they see him walking down the street, they go, hey, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Seven billion people standing yeah. out. At least they they're knew not who fans. You were. They just reckon. They just want credit. It's like I, a Jeopardy answer. Who I don't is think Tom he Cruise? wanted to know your name though. Like, oh, you're that guy. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know. I thought well, he was a fan. I was yeah, busy. Wasn't Get a fan. back to it. Yeah. So I want to be respectful <laughs> of your time too. Yeah. You got. Um, you started all these businesses before you got married, but you had already met your wife, right? Um. Yeah, she was my girlfriend. We got married soon after I started the company, like before we ever did bachelorettparties.com or vibrators.com. It was just when it was shopping private. She was there the night that I bought the first 50 items. So Pretty cool. Yeah, so she, she was there at the beginning. Me. She ditched me. She did. I had them all in the show. I bought them all. When I started the company, I just bought them at retail because I didn't have a wholesale for all this stuff. So just bought them at retail and sold them at retail and trying to figure out if anybody would buy anything on the internet. 
So she was with me at Kmart, and she left me. Like I had this shopping cart full of embarrassing with your box stuff of small penis yeah. condoms, enemas, and stuff. You know, like, douche bags and all the stuff. <laughs> she split. She's like, "I'll see you in the car." I would have liked to have been that cashier. Yeah. Loop. Oh yeah. It was, Ice cream. It was. Loop. It was very embarrassing. Yeah, but it was all for the money. Yeah. How have you? How have you managed that? Because something I've had problems with it, and mm-hmm. I get a lot of feedback. Sometimes it's difficult to get your significant other. Oh yeah, on well, board, it's, it's right? all great when you when the checks are written out in your name. Yes. But when you have to write checks back to like buy more inventory or something like that, oh, dude, that is just it's tough. You got to have someone who's in it, you know. And I've been very fortunate. This business has been very successful for me and for my family. I'm I'm not a billionaire. I'm not Dan Gilbert or anything, but you know, it's it's a successful business. But every once in a while something is not so great and it's hard like not drugstore.com trying to fuck up your life for a few years. And that wasn't you know? too that was that wasn't that terrible. But the, every once in a while, like every once in a while something'll go bad. Like I'll make a mistake or something and um yeah, I try to I try to buffer it. Like I don't celebrate every little victory anymore. Because I don't want to feel every little loss either, you know? Like, I used to be like, how were sales today? And be like, they were 4,700, you know? And the average might be 4,000. I learned not to do that because for every 4,700, if the average is 4,000, there's going to be a 3,300, right? So when it's 4,700, you don't eat steaks. And when it's 3,300, you don't eat ramen. You just live your life. And hopefully you work hard and hopefully it works out. Does that how, make sense? Yeah. How have yeah. you managed? Because um, you've just like with the uh, bullet safe, right? Yeah. You, you had to make that investment in inventory, right? Yeah. How did you pitch that? How did you sell that, right? Because um, it didn't just happen. Yeah. No, right? it just doesn't happen. Yeah. No, you got to go home. Hey, honey, I. You just got to ask us. Yeah. So. First, so this is a hundred ideas, right? Yes. So one of the first filters on the hundred ideas is Lisa, right? She's number one. She's smart. No, no, she's really smart. I don't know. You know, the other benefit is I'm married to an incredibly intelligent woman. Like she's very, very successful. She's an executive at an ad agency. She knows her shit like backwards and forwards. So I can run an idea past her and she will give me solid, solid advice. She's not a yes person. She's not a no person. She is a what what she is. A, I will ask you pointed questions until we figure out if this makes any sense person. And so some of the ideas start there, you know, and and even if they don't get approval and she's also smart enough to say, well, I don't really know about bulletproof vests. Maybe you should ask someone who's involved in them. You know, I don't really know the bulletproof vest market. So you should ask these questions and then. You know, I owe her an answer. She owns half the company. I own half the company. I have to answer to her. So Absolutely. it's my job to make the tough phone calls or to go find somebody that knows a chief of police and go talk to him or find somebody that knows a security guy and go talk to him. So that helps. So she puts me to task on that type of thing. And then when you have the business plan and you have the things, you know, I've been successful, so I have permission, right? That's right. Like some of the money in the bank account is mine, and it's there because we took risks in the past, so I get to take risks in the future. Um, that doesn't mean, though, I, d- I don't, we're both cheap when it comes to this stuff. So we launch 
on a bootstrap every time, you know, there's never, we never throw money at a, at a business plan. Well, you saw right through my question because yeah. I was leading right into this great quote. And actually you teach yeah. a business plan class at yep. the Build Institute. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? When yeah. is, when is the next one? Uh, by the January way? 18th, I think January 28th. 2016. Yeah. I'll make sure to put it it's in a, the show notes to it's at the build. Yep. Build Institute. I think this one's going to happen somewhere in Ferndale, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a really good. So is it going to be at the paper street or is it going to be somewhere I don't think else? that's there anymore. I'll put um, it in the show notes yeah. folks. And he's going to look it up on his phone. Yeah. Let me look it up. It's a great class. It's uh one night. You just, it's a couple hours long. Um, and I go through the, you know, I used to write business plans for a living. That's where I was I'm, getting to. Yep. I'm taught, uh, business, the business plan process at Oakland university as like a guest instructor. I, uh, I've written an ebook about it. That's free, you know, that's out there for the class participants. And in one night, I will tell you how to look at your business idea objectively and figure out if it makes any sense. And that's sort of, it's sort of that system. You need a hundred ideas and a system to figure out which one's best. Writing business plans is that system. So, and that's sort of a specialty of mine. And I think that, um, I have a way to, um, you know, to, to share it. It is January 28th, January 28th yep. folks and on that, your calendar. Yeah. And it's, uh, in the evening. So, and I will put the link in the show notes. Yeah, it's as cheap. Well. It's like $55 or something. Yeah, it's a bargain. Yeah, it's a good, and it's not cheap, cheap, but I mean, it's, you're getting instruction for that would normally be like an entire semester class. And I've just kind of cut through the wheat and, you know, and pulled out only the best stuff. Well, and I've attended the small business administration and score. At, yeah. And quite frankly, oh, I don't the build be mean. Yeah. They're not being taught by successful people. No, they are not. Yeah. If you want to learn something like this, you want to learn it from somebody who's doing four and a half million dollars in gross sales and not somebody who's volunteering or retired or used to work for yeah. Johnson and Johnson 15 years ago. Yeah. And, and um, I'm idiosyncratic about teaching the class. Like when you go in there, I'm like, one of the first things I say is I, I apologize. You don't get to ask questions in class. Like, because. You can ask, I will stay after class and you can come up and ask me questions, but you do not get to pause this train and ask your questions. This thing's going forward. That we are running through this in two hours. I'll be here an hour afterwards and I'll answer any question you have. We can socialize. If you want to buy me a drink afterwards, I'll be here for three hours. <laughs> but you Buy me dinner and a but steak. You, but we're rolling through this because we're respecting everybody. Because if you've taught class before, you know there's always one person yes. who wants to tell. They're not asking questions. They're trying to prove how smart they are. And I, I don't. I don't play that game. It seems like that always backfires too. They don't think, think it. Are. They don't think it will, but That's it does. Sad. Yeah. That's like, sad. Okay, when you, yeah. So last class, there was a gentleman. What did I say? I'm very opinionated when, in, when it comes to business plan writing. I think this year there's been like three or four bicycle shops that have opened up in Detroit. And I was like, these don't make any sense. Like one by, I know Detroit's supposedly like the bicycle town now. They painted some lines and we have slow roll, you know, and there's a thousand people out there for slow roll from the suburbs come in and ride. But that does not support three bicycle shops. And, and I get that there's some timing issues that maybe they all three of them launched at the same time, you know, so they were all 
like opened up and went, oh shit. But someone was third, you know? Yeah. And they should have bailed right away. Um, and it's I, hard to do. Yeah. It's, it's smart to do. And, I, and I'm, I'm also not a fan of multi-level marketing. So I caught hell on that. I think someone in the audience had friends that were involved in one or two of the bicycle shops and he just didn't want to buy it. I picked I was picking on his friends, you know? Oh, no. And then, uh, is this part of the hurt feelings crowd? Yeah. And then, yeah. And then another person I said, I've never met anyone that's truly been successful for multi-level marketing, network marketing, whatever they're calling it these days. Neither have I. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, so and besides, if you're, if you're doing multi-level marketing or network marketing, you're, if you're going to swallow that Kool-Aid, what are you writing a business plan for anyway? You don't need one. Yeah. You're not thinking. No. <laughs> There's already a plan in place. Yeah, Go do you're it. You're going to use their plan of bothering your friends and family. Yeah. That's you're you're not using the outside market. So you know. So I'm not a fan. And then someone was like, "I think you're wrong about multi level marketing." That's when you're like, "Um, oh, excuse me. Um, how much did you have in gross sales last year?" <laughs> yeah, so you could be a total dick. Yeah. Sometimes you're probably you, too nice for that. No, no, I'm a dick. Actually. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah, that. Total dick about it. One of the questions on my exit survey, because it's a survey afterwards, is Tom Nardone a jerk? You know, and people say, yeah. Like, good. I'm people doing my say job halfway, right. you know, say, good. I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to, because that's the problem with business. That's friends. a great point. You're not there to be your friend. You're there to, this Tell is how you, you evaluate. This is how you evaluate. This yeah. is objective. This is, um, yeah, this is. This, the, your friends, go tell your mom you created a business plan and she's going to tell you it sounds brilliant. But then spend your life savings on it and you're going to be screwed. Yeah. The other thing, people, there's two eye-opening things about my class. The sec, One of them is that don't spend your life savings to buy yourself a job where you make less than minimum wage. Right? Yeah, that makes no sense. Because there's a lot of businesses out there, record shops and aquarium stores and all these things where someone had a passion a word I don't really care much for, that whole thing, find your passion and make it your job and you'll never work a day in your life. Whatever. Yeah. Go talk to a guy who owns a bicycle shop, an aquarium store, a record store, and it was his passion. Until no, he fucking he, hates it. Until he ruined it by having to do yeah. it every day, all day, and deal with jackasses, right? The, you know, So these people that loathe their customers are just, they're in the wrong business. So, um, And so that's my word of advice. It's like, don't, Buy yourself a crappy job. Something like 90% of all businesses make less than $250,000 a yeah. year. Oh, and gross sales? Yeah. Yeah. And the average number of employees is like 1.1. 1. 1. Yeah. It's really it's really rough. There's a lot a, of people just create a job is all There's a lot of businesses out there. There's a lot of people out there that really the job pays less than minimum wage. They just don't realize it because yeah. they're working for themselves. Well, I think the next number was 50% of them make less than $30,000 a year. Yeah, and that's gross. Yeah. That's and, not of expenses. And these people aren't working, these people aren't working 40 hour weeks, you know, no, 50, 60 hour week to make 30 grand a year is probably right about minimum wage. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It is. It's hard to start a business and it, it is work. It, it's oh work. yeah. Yeah. It's stress. And so you have to make sure you're going to start a good one. And that's what, that's kind of what I talk about. Well, so I have someone I'm mentoring right now, okay. right? Who um, took my class and he, you know, he asked, I, I will mentor you over email. You have to email me things and then I'll email you my opinion. And his idea is terrible. And I've, to, and I hinted the first two emails, I hinted to him, this idea is no good. 
Like you have, you've done a business plan and you think it's going to make a profit, but you've included no, no money to acquire customers, like no marketing dollars. Yeah. That doesn't seem like right? that. So then work. it doesn't make sense. No. So, so you've sent over a new copy of it and basically as marketing expenses say, I'm going to network into all of my sales. So therefore it's zero dollars. So finally, I, I I haven't sent the email yet. If I was my wife, I would read it one more time before I sent it and take out like the edge. But I think he's getting the full deal today because Give him the straight up. This is the third email about it. I'm tired of hinting with this guy. Don't do this business. I wish somebody would have told that. Your with name my stinks. First business. Your name's like it's a one of these. I'm going to create a brand. No, your brand stinks. You know, it's one of these things. I'm going to sell it locally. This is not a local product. It's not locally harvested. There's nothing local about it. It's just terrible. Yeah. Everything's terrible about it. Don't do it. Honesty is the best policy. Sometimes. I'm sure his other friends are like, it sounds great. Yeah. That, that would be the problem with not having good people in your life, right? You need, and that's my first business. You're going to laugh. JB Real Estate Solutions. I mean, could you pick a fucking worse name? No, it's not that bad. My website was JB Real Estate dash solutions.com i'm not a fan of that I'm, no 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 what would be worse <laughs> no what would be worse is if your business was called like um jb it makes sense jeremy burgess right yeah but if it was called like platinum real estate or something something really or just platinum provider and you're like well what do you provide you know that's actually something i do with gina where we drive by and i read this read the name of the business and we try and figure out what it is what based upon the do. name yeah. yeah i always wonder about that well i like to i like to walk the we we used to live in ferndale which is really vibrant startup town you know because the rent's fairly inexpensive and there's always a vacancy or so now we live in birmingham which is full of you know, anthropology and West Elm. Yeah. Birmingham's full of like corporate, for people listening, Birmingham's very, the fancy town and it's full the of city that works actually. Yeah. And it's very, um, corporate. So there's Starbucks and Panera and, and like just the downtown has like an anthropology and a West Elm and these really high end retailers. And those individual stores don't have to make money. Like they could pay way too much in rent just to be present where all the rich, rich people are. But in Ferndale, which is an earthier town, you have to make money. So so the stores will will close if they don't do well. So when the stores would open, we would predict, you know, how long before how this long is it going to last. Yeah. yeah. And you could probably you could probably start a business in Ferndale for 10 grand pretty easily actually. Cuz probably $1500 rent times 2, you know, get your security deposit, you got 3 grand and then Drop seven grand on the inventory for your candy boutique. Some sort or something. of build out. Yeah. <laughs> for your candy boutique. Candy Paint boutique. the walls bright red and, you know, Pepto Bismol paint. Jeremy's sweet treats, you know? Nobody would come. Yeah. I wouldn't sell sweet anyway. Well, I don't think success is an accident. And as we wrap up, no, it takes a lot of work. Right. Do you have a routine, a morning routine, an education routine, anything? Something you've been in it a long time. Yeah, so you, yeah. No, oh, yeah. Like, I've gone through life coaching. Like I had, I've done like those type of things where I learned to be better. Here's uh, here's what I learned about myself. One, I'm not very effective in the morning. I'm not a morning person. I'm a night owl. So um, I go to the gym and that sort of stuff sometimes in the morning. I walk my kids to school. Family time for me is like the morning time. 
I can make my kids breakfast. My wife's there. We all hang around. We have a very low, like we get up earlier than we probably would normally. And we socialize in okay. the house. I know that sounds weird. I know no, a lot of breakfast people are like, instead of dinner, right? Yeah, a lot of people are like whipping their kids out the door and there's a lot of screaming and yelling. But we sat down and had a talk like, no, if you want to be happy all day, let's have a happy morning. So let's get up and Makes sense. take the time to shower. And I walk my kids to school and I walk back and I'm late for work every day. The Who's earliest fire I get you? in at 9.15. But everybody knows it. Um, and then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I work out at nine o'clock. So I go to the gym instead of work. And then I get in at like 1030, 1045. So right there, like I look like the world's worst like employee. But, um, but my energy level ebbs and flows on Mondays, for example, is a day I come in ready to rock because I've been off for a couple of days and all the ideas have swirled around in my head. So Mondays I will work from like nine o'clock and I'll be there usually till midnight. Damn. Like, and after five o'clock, everybody leaves and it's quiet and I kill it. I can get, I, sometimes I feel like I have an entire week's worth of work I did in a Monday night. And then Tuesdays I work out in the morning. So I, you know, recover a little, like a little slow wake up and I'll get in. And I, most days I work until like six o'clock or so. And then uh, Friday nights is usually... So I'm not the most organized person. So Friday nights is when I, when everybody, after everybody leaves at five o'clock, then I can rush around and get all the shit done that I should have done. <laughs> That's like my deadline time to get. But um, what I do is, so my routine is I, I get distracted. Like I'm like a crow. I see like shiny things. So every day I take a post-it note and I write down all the things I'm supposed to do that day. And I go about that. Do you put it in a particular order or just put it just right off? No, just right there. But I get the enjoyment of crossing them off when I'm done. Okay. That's my, that's very satisfying for me to see them disappear visually. Anything minor go on or is it like big stuff? Like, no, it's like every single thing. Like today was, um, okay. And then if you want to, this is funny, but like if my wife wants me to do, do something, I will never remember. So on Saturday, she would said, okay, you need to get Margo, that's my daughter, a new ski helmet because she's going to try skiing this year, but she has no helmet for it. And I was like, oh, I bought Michael a ski helmet, but it was too small, but I was too lazy to return it. And it's at my warehouse. Might fit. So she's like, oh, yeah, it totally will fit. <laughs> so she's like, okay, can you bring it home? I said, yeah, but you have to send me an email. So she sent me an email to my work email. So today I got in, and I, so I see this. Okay, Margo's helmet. Write it on my list. Then I was walking by where Margo's ha- where the helmet was in the closet, where it was, grabbed it, put it in my car, cross it off the list. There you go. So it's like just simple stuff like that. Or it could be like I have to send like a licensing agreement out today. So I have to figure out what a licensing agreement is and, you know, get, <laughs> like I'll buy one on legal Zoom or something and then modify it to work. So that sort okay. of stuff. So a bunch of big or small things. And then um, I use iCalendar. For, to schedule myself like this event if and then um so i can do that at my desk i can do it on my phone you can send people can send me an iCal event and uh so i've run my life from that from the iCal so i have some things that are on iCal today that then I, then when i do my post-it note i can look at the iCal for the week and see if there's anything i need to do for like tomorrow the next day that type of thing are you big in the goal setting or anything like that um, i'm not not huge. You know, we have like certain, I'm big into finding the right metric and then tracking only that. 
Ah, okay. So don't track like, uh, for example, revenue for me, you ask about revenue. It's not a great metric for me because sometimes, because like drugstore.com had plenty of revenue, Yeah, but they were losing money on every sale. So uh, we do a weekly gross profit calculation. So it's, you know, basically what we sold minus what we paid for that stuff. And that's sort of, that's a decent metric. It's not perfect, but it's a lot better. So that gives you something to shoot for. Yeah. Yeah. And measure your progress. Yep. Year to year, year prior year, you know, we, this week to prior, prior, prior year week. That do you have thing. any continuing education you do or, or anything like that? Or uh, let's see what do I do. Uh, no, I try to, I don't know if there's much for me. I mean, if there's something, I'll try to do it. I do a lot of, um, I just took, I belong to one of those maker spaces. That's kind of a hobby for me. You know, like one of those places, like a gym, but sort of a making you know what I'm talking about? No, all? I have no idea. It's called I3 Detroit is the one I belong to. There's another one called, I forget, Shop, something Shop. But it's, you know how you, a gym is a place where they have a bunch of exercise equipment you can't yeah, afford to buy yourself? Absolutely. Well, this is a place where they have a bunch of making stuff equipment, like a machine shop and a wood shop and all this other stuff. That's cool. And and you pay a membership, and then there's a bunch of people there. So it's like 100 members. And sometimes members teach each other how to do things. So I just took a class on how to use the laser cutter. So it's like a thing that cuts things with a laser. And uh, so I just learned how to do that. But And then, um, you know, there's a lot of YouTube videos out there. How many... um how many new gadgets and gizmos do you come up with every year? Because it seems like I'm not say how many ideas. Yeah, you always seem like you're manufacturing some prototype thing. Yeah. Or something. Well, I think the funny thing is, so if you have an idea and then you want to get it, move it forward, right? Like what? What's happened to me is I've had some ideas long ago that I wanted to do, but I had no ability to do them. Like no one was looking to me to have something. So you have you like know. a cache of ideas. So I have this cache of ideas. Yeah, I keep like an idea book and I have all these idea books that I always write down these ideas and um, like a sketch sketchbook. And um, so so now things are easier for me because I'm known as a guy who has weird ideas. So that means I can find an old weird idea and bring it to life. Like that That's pretty crazy cool. cookout with Zimmer. Right? Yeah. That was an idea I had had years before. But couldn't figure a place for it. So when they asked me for, what do you got having to do with food? You just went to the... I was like, oh, yeah, I had this idea once. So I do a lot of that. You have an idea bank, basically. Yeah, I just kind of... Yeah, I just think of funny things to do. Write it down. Yeah. Put it in the Write book. it down. Yeah, I want you to write it down. It sort of captures it somewhere in my brain. I do that, too. I so, use Evernote for that, though. Do you? Yeah. yeah. I just write... I keep, like... um, I buy just, like a little idea journals like sketchbooks but i buy um i treat myself as one of the few i treat myself only in a couple ways one is i buy the pen i like which is a g2 pen i won't write with anything else let me see that let me see that pen yeah it's just a g it's like um it's just like a pen okay and then um i buy uh i love this stuff it rolls real nice I'm interested in this stuff. A lot of people are not interested in this stuff. And then this is my latest idea book, which is, um, people can't see it, but it's, I bought it at some Chinese market in, in Chinatown in Las Vegas when I was out there for a trade show. And I have to be blank pages for me. So there's no lines, no lines lines lines. for Tom, no restrictions. And, uh, I got sketches and lots of lists and little spreadsheets. That's so cool. Donald Trumpkin. (laughs) There's my pumpkin smasher. There's the um, how I'm going to make the mallet. 
uh, the big mallet we talked about. So, folks, carry around some sort of book to write yeah. all your ideas. We're going to do a private label personal lubricant. So, this was a list of giant, giant list of different ideas for the name. Important to get a good name. Oh yeah, like silk or easy glide or whatever. So stuff like that. I like to write all that stuff down so that if I think of a new idea, I'll go back to it. Any books you would highly recommend for anybody to read either before they start a business or after they start a business or any point in time? Hmm. Um, I'd be well, very interested to know what yeah. you read, right? What you thought was good. Um, Think and Grow Rich is probably the greatest book. Man, that's, that's a popular one. That's an old one. Yeah. Do you know the story behind it? No. Okay, Rockefeller... Um, was like, I've made billions of dollars, right? I'm one of the, so I'm going to hire this guy, Napoleon, something or other. Hill. Napoleon, Napoleon Hill, Hill. Thank yeah. you. And I hire this guy, Napoleon Hill, and he's going to go around and he's going to interview all of the wealthiest, most successful people in the world. And he's going to, I'm going to help him get connected to all of those people. And he's going to write a book about it. Cause Hill was a professor at like NYU or something like that. So Rockefeller and Hill had him interview everybody. Edison, Ford, all must have taken a long time. Yeah. Spent like a year and a half doing it. Rockefeller funded the project. And uh interviewed them all and he wrote a book about it. And it's back then people didn't want to be successful. They didn't know the word. They used the word rich. Yeah. Rich meant not just wealthy, it meant had a rich life. You wanted a rich life. You know, rich everywhere. Rich everywhere. Yeah. Richness, fulfilled. And so the title, Think and Grow Rich. Yeah, rich seems, has kind of got a bad seems rap, hasn't greedier it? today than it is. But so I, I, long ago, I tried to create like a Cliff's Notes on all the self help books I had read because I read too many. <laughs> and uh, so my, I, it's available in ebook form. I get like a royalty check every few months. It's called like, um, send me the link. I'll put it in the show notes. Oh, See no, no, it's not worth it. More. It's not worth it. It's like the seven ways to think and grow rich and have successful friends. Who, you know, it's like a combination of all the titles and, and it restore your inner power, you know, or something like that. You <laughs> know, it's a like a really title. long title that includes like all the, the keywords, page. keywords that you would type. So if you type think and grow rich in Amazon, it was supposed to show up second. Ah. As because it had all those words in there that didn't anyway. work out very well. No, I no, it sells as an ebook on Kindle. I think I make like about a hundred or two hundred dollars a year off of it, so it's not not insignificant. No, so and all I did was write down my thoughts on all the books, which was pretty good. So I should I wanted to start a company called Should Have Been a Pamphlet, and every time a really crappy <laughs> every time a really crappy uh, self help book comes out, I create a PDF pamphlet of it. Here's the two good pages. Yeah, literally. Some yeah. of them are just really like the secret. Oh, that's that even, was really God, think positively and positive things will happen to you. Don't even get me started. About that's that great. Shit. Tell yeah. that to him. Yeah. I cannot believe how many books they just, some of them just take catch fire and some don't. Hey, I'm not hating either. I, I sell as much I am, as I can, but I'm trying to, but I'm not good at hating. That but book is dog that one, shit. That one is rough. It will put you in the rocks, folks. If you <laughs> if you think that you can I think, that's think all it takes. I'm gonna have more sales. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Why didn't so, it work? Yeah, I like that. You didn't I, pretend hard enough. Yeah, I like think and grow rich. For selling, I like snap. Snap selling, I think it's called. Snap selling. Snap selling. This will be in the show this notes, is a folks. Process. Do you remember who this is by Snap no. selling? Well, you talking? I'll Google it. Yeah, snap selling. I think is what it's called. And uh, let's see what else. 
I like blank books with no lines so I can write on them. And I like Pilot G2 pens. Pilot G2 right there. pens. You know, it's funny. Here's uh, Pilot G2. I hired a person. This uni ball, right? Yeah, very point, similar ballpoint. Point yeah. 0.8. Yeah, gotta be point eight. Oh yeah, this is a uh, this is a point seven, I think. Uh, you like the point seven? Yeah, this is point seven. All right, what was that book? Snap what? Snap selling, I think it is. Snap selling. That's the pot process we use for our phone sales. I know we, we talked about phone sales on the break. Snap selling by Jill Conrath. Yeah. All right, I'll simple. put it. In the, yeah. It's an acronym for something. Yeah. Well, we'll see here. Priority is the P. Aligned is the A. Speed up sales and win more business with today's frazzled customers. Yeah. So I'll put it in the show notes, folks. Yeah. Any other books, blogs? I know you haven't even listened to podcasts in a while. No. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of books. I've read a bunch of books. Um, good to Great, I like. I'm a fan good of Good to Great. To great. Although I'm not a, I have to tell you, I, I've created my fair sh- the, uh, the saying in that book is that gr- good is the opposite of great. You know, if you're, only, if you're satisfied with good, you'll never be great. I gotta tell you, I, I have a bunch of good businesses. So, yeah. so whether I, it's, you know, I don't think that really, I would love to say that it's an eye opening book, but I'm not sure I'm a great listener because sometimes good is good enough and that's good. Good is good enough. Is there yeah. anything you want to talk about or anything I didn't plug? Um, no, I'm just happy to be here and talk to you. I really appreciate it. This is yeah. fun. I yeah, had a thanks. good time. Thanks. I like the podcast format. I, I hope yours is doing well. I'm sure it will be. I hope so, too. We're going to commit to a year to it. So Yeah, I think it'll be a good year. Yeah. I like that you had specific goals. We talked about that, Yeah, too. before. I yeah, do. A thousand, thousand subscribers that's, and a few that's a big one. shows that have a thousand listens. Yes. Yeah. If and, I can do that in a year. Yeah. I think that would make sense to continue doing it, right? So you're a on, huge investment. So you're on iTunes now? Is that I am. What, and, I just got there three weeks ago. That, and finally. was that difficult to get onto? Yeah, but mostly because I'm an idiot when it comes to that stuff. So I tell you, some of the stuff is difficult to it do. It is. I'm not an Apple guy either, although now I love the iPad. But uh-huh. It is embarrassing for me to figure it out, and I finally just had to hire it out. I did. I was like... You found somebody that says, I will get your podcast on iTunes? I told my wife, I go, I've tried this three Nothing times now. I'm working 90 hours a week. Yeah. And I'm, I did a piss poor job every time. I've, I've Half been there did for it. this. Yeah, I'm like the king of this. Find this guy. Did you ever use Fiverr? You know yes, I mean? yes. Yeah. I bet there's someone on Fiverr that'll get your iPod. You know? I probably should have gone there or, first. Where'd you find the person that got you on iTunes? Um, I think like Gina Elaine? called her sister, oh, and yeah, she was one of yeah. Because if you've if you've ever had an iPod, you know how to do this shit. But I've never owned an iPod. Oh yeah, I I still so, I don't have a podcast on iTunes. I don't have a podcast, but I'm not sure I would get it up there right away. I've heard, I had a employee of mine that was like um you know like an amateur musician you know, and um. He had had a record deal a long time ago. And I was like, is it, do you have it on iTunes now? And he's like, no. And I was like, well, do you have a digital copy of it? He's like, yeah. I said, boy, it doesn't seem like it would be that hard to, if you had a digital copy of your music to get it on iTunes. And, uh, and I looked up one day, you know, just to see, and it looked like it was fairly doable. It's not that difficult, but, especially if you're a part of the Apple environment. Yeah. So, but, um, you know, sometimes just because something's easy to do doesn't mean people will do it. I t- I tell you what, we've published a lot of books on Kindle, and that's pretty easy to do. You upload a Word document, you know, you create a, like we've done, vibrators.com does a series of erotica. Really? We do. We pay authors. So that's one way to do advertising too, yeah. right? Yeah, we pay authors to uh, write erotic stories. They submit them in. Do they have to always- use a certain vibrator in the story or no, something? No, 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 no. That's not a requirement at all. Um, it's just good erotica. And then 
there's a lot of erotic writers out there and there's no one buying their work. So it goes to not, you know, it gets given away for free. So, so we pay like $75 for a story, which is high, high end, but you're getting the best stories. But we right? pick the best. Yeah. And we have someone edit them down. Uh, so my copywriter, she does it like in her spare time. And uh, so we get them edited. A lot of the stuff that's on the market for Kindle, Kindle is real erotica is really popular on Kindle. Because no one can see what you're reading. You're just reading a Kindle. And uh, so it's very popular. And so someone edits it down because the stuff that's out there is always self-edited. And that does not make for a good read. There's always no. a bunch of errors. Don't edit yourself. Yeah. Hire somebody to yeah, edit Yeah, hire you. someone. It's yeah. cheap. Yeah. So we edit it down. And we create, you know, and then we put like a little coupon code throughout. Like in between each short story, there's a don't forget this is. Dude, I love that idea. Yeah, that works pretty well for so us. So write a book. And I mean, you know, that's a great idea. That's a great yeah. idea. So, but anyway, ebook. This? So then I did the how to think and grow rich and win good to great friends. I think <laughs> I don't even know what the name. That's a, every time I say the title of it, you made I change that. It. You just like press yeah. that together. It's different so every that, time. That's one of my ebooks, and then I did another one. Um, for a while, I was doing crazy. I'm jealous of single people, not because I didn't want to be in the dating market, but I really desperately want to write like a really terrible, like. Um, tinder profile or something you know <laughs> just i want to i want to mess with people on that you know like i just saw someone did a tinder profile where he was a glass of wine yeah to be a i glass saw of that wine. yeah hilarious yeah, hilarious I love bad stuff puns. yeah i'd be interested to know if bad puns get you laid though because that'd be the no, point no. of tinder I, right I think, yeah but so no i don't want to i don't want to play by the rules i don't want to go on a tinder date or anything i just want to put a profile up there where i mess with people I sound old, but I don't know if I would ever do that. Yeah, I wouldn't thing. even do it. No. no. So, but for a while, Craigslist was where you, so I wrote these like 10 terrible, <laughs> terrible Craigslist personal ads. And, um, how did you figure out what, how'd you write the worst of the worst? You just had people vote on them or I, I figure out what I have. I have a system. Like I would figure out what's the best of the best <laughs> and I would do the exact opposite. So um, the absolute worst personal Craigslist, just posts. the worst. Like the, everybody's talking about how great they are. So I wrote one, one, <laughs> one of them. One of them was. Um, Why do I, I think this is so funny? One it's of the hilarious. Craigslist ads was, I I would be an adequate sexual partner. That's what it says. <laughs> so the the requirements, like this guy was this person. He was um, boasting that, um, say for example, your boyfriend slept with another woman. And you wanted to sleep with another man to get him back. I would be perfectly adequate for this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it says, say you wanted to have a baby, but you did not want to go to the sperm bank or yeah, to have any strings attached. I would be perfectly adequate for this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're basically advertising that you're a loser. Yeah, no, 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 no. He's not a loser. He's not. A, no. He's adequate. He's perfectly adequate. Yeah, exactly. Right in the middle of the. It's road. like when I sell my wife on the best three minutes of her life, yeah, and then she gives adequate. me a look. I go two minutes. Keep keep talking like that. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be down to a minute and uh, no time flat. Yeah. So that was one of them, and there was just all these crazy, you know, crazy Craigslist. Like so I so I made an ebook out of that and put it on Kindle for ninety nine cents or something, and you know, and every once in a, every week or so, I get seventy cents. It's a brilliant. It's a brilliant plan, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when you don't watch TV and you you need a hobby. But yeah. hey, at least your hobby's making that's you one of the hundred ideas. Well, yeah. that's the idea. You throw a hundred ebooks at at Amazon, and maybe one of them will sell. How many do you have now? 
six. Seven. All right. So you got a few more to do. Yeah. In your spare time. That's why you said you want to make a podcast. You should make a podcast. I'm You're like, like no, I'm, no, I'm failing at many other businesses <laughs> right now. I'll get to it when I get to yeah. it. It's on the this list of my things hobby, to yeah. suck at. Yeah, but then you know, but then I did the pumpkin website, which looked equally stupid. Oh man, that one. But went, that one, that one went big. Who knew? The one with the Cra- the the website with the Craigslist um, write ups actually has gotten a, the website was it started out as um, rejected penthouse forum letters. <laughs> This is back when <laughs> nobody porn. remembers what this is, so we gotta tell them. Before the internet porn, folks, remember I used to go through your dad and your uncle's porn stash in Penthouse. There was a section that started in the front. Asked me how I know. This got me through my uh, it was letters. My and teenage years. Write yeah. letters about these experiences they had, which was total bullshit. Total. I, think. I met the. I met someone once through my through vibrators.com that used to have to edit the letters. Yeah, and they said the letter would come in and it'd be like a napkin, and it would say. I boned my wife's boss, my boss's wife, you know, and then he would create this whole yeah. scenario about how he was no, a construction you worker and all this other stuff. So, um, so I wrote rejected ones. They were just like <laughs> absolutely horrid. So I, I know. So that website, that has a website. What is that website? Forumrejects.com. Forumrejects.com. Yeah. I think I might go check that. That one one's worth it. Yeah. I guarantee you. You will at least chortle at, at one of them. There's only like ten or eleven, but I guarantee. So the um the ebook on Amazon, if you have a Kindle and you want a good laugh and you got ninety nine cents burning a hole in your pocket, you do. You know you do. It's called Forum Rejects and it's by Tom Nardone. Buy it, folks. I'm gonna go check it out tonight. That sounds right up my alley. <laughs> Anything else, man? Is no, I've already up? plugged my terrible oh, ebook for ninety nine cents. God, I cents. love. It. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I love it. I want to thank Tom for coming out today. He's like a real entrepreneur. I appreciate your time. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, we did two and a two hours and ten minutes too. A little bit longer wow. than I thought. It's a long time. I encourage you, highly encourage you, to go check out what he's doing. Go to priveco.com, P-R-I-V-E-C-O.com. And you can find all the other links there. But also, hey, need to buy some small penis condoms or douchebags or whatever you want, go to shoppingprivate.com. $300 bulletproof vest, bulletsafe.com. Go and buy one of his books, extremepumpkins.com. The mowergang.com. Nope, just mowergang. Mowergang.com. Facebook.com forward slash mowergang or on Twitter at priveco. And if you enjoy this podcast and you find it helpful, please share it with your friends. Um, it's a free podcast. The sharing and the liking really does help. Um, if you have any comments, suggestions, reach out to me. Go to renegadedetroit.com, renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegade Detroit investors or Facebook.com, Detroit Investment Club. Hit me up on Twitter, at Jeremy Burgess. If you prefer, you can watch us on YouTube, along with 200 other free videos at YouTube.com, forward slash user, forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. And as I wrap up this podcast this week, I do want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. I don't know what you need to do. You know. There are many distractions, though. I know there are mistakes, poisonous people, bad habits, bad starts in life. Just unlucky. Stick with it. Don't give up. Do something every day that gets you closer to your goal, even if it's one step. I really appreciate your time listening. I know you have lots to do in your life. Every minute counts. I really appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next podcast. Until then, crush it.